You're listening to the amazing Comics Pals. We are a group yes. of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Just like Mike Pence, we are here together in the studio without masks to bring you the hottest trending news in comic books. Also, just like Mike Pence, there's not a woman among us. <laughs> so I didn't you know. like that one, but it, but I came around on it. <laughs> I think that was a courtesy laugh. Wait, can we go back to why you didn't you didn't like the name Amazing? You made a face at that at that. Who you? you. Oh yeah, because it's not very good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. If it's good enough for Spider Man, it's good enough for us. We're not good enough for Spider Man. So yes. uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> well, no, he I said, think I'll he said for we. all of us. <laughs> yeah, I think the collective, like, no, I am good enough for Spider Man, and um, that lifts us up to that standard okay. of quality. I buy that. I buy that. So you know, it is what it is. Spectacular barely worked. We're at great, great lakes level. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't you wait speak- to get uncanny. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I've been wanting to get Uncanny. I also want to get uh, Of America really bad. But, uh, <laughs> so for those of you who missed a couple weeks ago when we started this bit, uh, by the way, thank you for joining us today. Um, we're happy to have you. If you couldn't tell from Kale's uh, spectacular demeanor, um, we are the Amazing Comics Pals. <laughs> and the reason why we are amazing this week is because a couple of weeks ago we started uh, a new bit where we are uh <laughs> we're rolling a dice to determine what our name will be so you know what our prefix i guess will be the superlative yeah there you go can i see um, the die that you're rolling yes cool so i have these really awesome x-men dice uh that have x's where the oh, that's right. ones ought to be for those yeah. of you who are watching this uh, you can see that on YouTube. Of course, what are those YouTube. from? Uh, so I used to play a game called Hero Clicks, which, oh. yeah, uh, okay. if you're unfamiliar, it's a board game. It's a competitive board game where you build teams of characters. They're they're actually really cool little um, figures that you get with die, um, or not die, but um, uh, they have like click, clickers on the clicks, bottom, right? Yeah. And yeah. they have powers and all that jazz, and it's really cool. Marvel, DC, wrestling, WWE, um, all kinds of stuff. One and of the few pieces of official Invincible merch as well. Yeah, yeah, actually. <laughs> uh, so you can have Spider-Man and The Undertaker on the same team? You can. What? Oh, wait, can. they interact with each other? I thought it yeah. was, like, sets. It oh, used that's to, fucking awesome. Yeah, they, it, they used to be really segregated, but um, now you can use whatever you want to use. Oh my god! Yeah, build the ultimate dream team. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so when I was still playing that, I obviously they they come out with these little packs where you get like specific characters and you know um, dice and these little um, they're like you know what this they're they're cool enough that I'm actually gonna get up right now so that I can show you them. Sure. So yeah, I'm gonna nice. I'm gonna be really really fast here. Right, fill the air. Say- fill the air. I didn't know that those came with dice and like the. All right. The, so obviously, if you're not never mind, oh. didn't need to fill the air. Sean was really fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're not on YouTube.com/slash/comicspals, you can't see these, but I recommend check that you out. get on there just to check these out because they're really cool. So they're these. Um, 
they're like these little uh, they're markers in the game. I don't know what you would call them in real life, but they look like poker chips. Yeah, yeah, with, like, there you Magneto's go. I couldn't think of the word. On it or something. <laughs> yeah, they're they're poker chips pretty much. And so there's Namor. Uh that one is Cyclops. Oh. Uh, I got Emma Frost here. Nice. I got uh Magic as well. So uh, really cool stuff, and uh, all that came in one pack, and the X-Men dice are my dice of choice. Whenever I'm playing a game that requires them, I always whip those out. Um, that or my Avengers dice, which I also covet. So what I was saying before when I was going to fill the air was I didn't know that those came with dice or anything, and like I, the Invincible clicks are like one of the only Invincible things that I never snagged, and now I mm. desperately want to find them in <laughs> box so I can get those dice. That's fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, man. Uh, if you're if you're into like, you don't even have to play the game. You can just get really cool dice. So yeah, absolutely. And they're they're nice little figures too. Like they're very small, but they're they're like they're pretty detailed for how little the the die casts are. Yeah, absolutely. And the details gotten a lot better over time. This is not an ad. Just uh, a game that is really cool. And if you've never <laughs> listen, you're looking for just something, you want a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clicks. give us a call. What's up? <laughs> yeah, and uh, actually, that game is on hold, just like a lot of others. Like, they're not able to ship new sets and stuff. But uh, to tie this into the comic space, they're about to release their House of X set, which is pretty oh, cool. Oh, very That's cool. cool. Yeah. I didn't even know they were still making those. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, wow. game's going strong. It's one of the most popular games in the U.S., it's been, wow. I mean, it's been going for so long, too. Like, I remember, I think the first set came out when I was in high school. Like, I want to say it was in, like, 2007 or eight or something. Like, it's a pretty old game. Yeah. It's been going for, for a, a while. Yeah. Just a way to pass the time. Very fun. Um, yeah. So, before we, before we get into everything, because there is a lot to talk about today, um... I, I I wanted to mention that on this show, on this exact episode, we should have been recording a review for Black Widow. This would have been the day. Damn. I mean, listen, we could still do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> you tell me how and I'm down, man. Would, would you guys think uh, of Black hey, listen. Yeah, it ain't gonna be that hard. Hey, what you guys think? I don't know. It sucked. Scarlett Johansson's <laughs> way past her prime. Oh. She looks good in the unitard, but that's about it. <laughs> oh, wow. heavy, heavy, heavy. Uh, I thought Kale was gonna say it was great to finally see uh, a Marvel movie that was fronted by an Asian woman, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so no Black Widow review. Obviously, the movie's not coming out now until November, which we'll makes see. Avengers Endgame still the most recent Marvel movie. And wow. um, it's right? been a year. That's what I said, Marco. Yeah. It's It's been a year. Uh, it's been over a year at this point. The year anniversary been a while. was April 26th for the U.S. Um, and we're going to be talking about that a little later on, getting into... The legacy of the movie, our recollections, and some new information that's come out. Uh, recently, there was a watch-along that they did last week, and um, the writers tapped in and uh, made some comments. Uh, the, direct the directors made some comments, so uh, that that's been a thing they've been doing lately. James Gunn has been doing watch-alongs for the Guardians movies. 
And uh, so, yeah, we'll be talking a lot about uh, that a little later on. Do want to let you guys know where you can find us, though. Of course, we are the Comics Pals. Uh, if you type in Amazing Comics Pals, Twitter will come up for sure. But uh, otherwise, you should definitely just type in the Comics Pals if you want to uh, look us up. And uh, you can do that. You know, we'll, we'll come up wherever you look for us. Uh, on social media, of course, Twitter, Instagram, we are the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And if you're on YouTube, we really appreciate it. That means you just got to see my awesome dice and poker chips. Um, while you're there, before you leave, you can uh, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a comment if you enjoyed the, uh, the dice that I have here. These really cool dice. Uh, if you're into these at all, drop us a comment and let us know. And uh, share this video with your friends. Let us know, or let them know, rather, that we're out there and you enjoy what we're doing. Hit the notification bell so you can be made aware whenever we drop new content. And um, join our Discord. We have lots of fun on our Discord. Uh, I say this every week, I feel like, but I'm not not uh, exaggerating. It's a pretty cool bunch of people that we've assembled over there. So if you want to join that club, uh, swing on over to our Discord. There's a link to that in the description. So come hang out with us. Um, book clubs. We've got the Uncanny X-Force book club that just dropped. Go check that out. That was a blast to put together. Uh, we all had, I think, a really good conversation. Unfortunately, Marco wasn't there for that. Quick question, Marco. Did you, like, read the book? Did you get to read it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was sad I missed it. It was actually, um, I think I mentioned it to you maybe afterwards. Um, but I was sad because it actually really made me enjoy, like, uh, a superhero comic. So I was I, awesome. I was pretty excited to, like, to, to talk about it. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. Um <clears throat> It's a really special book, in my opinion, special to me at least. And so that was actually one of the very first books that I ever wanted to do for this show when we first came up with the book club idea. But I just held off on it and uh, now seemed like the right time. So we did it. Uh, go check that out. I think you'll enjoy it. You'll get a lot out of it. Um, yeah, so on the internet... There's always an argument. There's always an argument. There's always a big conversation. And lately, what are you talking about? No, there isn't. <laughs> you're right. We we, we tend to up, agree Kale. on everything uh, when we're on the. I've internet. had enough of this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and so the conversation came up recently on Twitter as to which Spider-Man movie is the best. Two. No. What? <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> no. Have you rewatched two no. recently? I haven't. Those, but it's very fond in my those, memory. Those Raimi movies. I'm sorry, don't hold up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so which one's the best? Kale wouldn't know. He hasn't seen any of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, gotta be Spider Verse, right? Is that in contention? No, 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 no. Just live action. Live action. Oh, live action. Okay. I think mm. Well, I, go ahead. Actually, now now that I think of them, now that I think about it, none of them are very good. <laughs> I think I think Amazing Spider-Man 1 what? is underrated. Oh, but I don't think it's the best. God, wow, and then you talk about my wrong takes? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Do you have one, Marco? I just said it. Spider-Man 2, that's where you're, you're yeah. landing? All right. 
I like Spider-Man too, so respect. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I kind of go back and forth where I, I really have a huge soft spot for the first one. Um, and I think aside from that, the one that's done the most things that I like is probably Far From Home. But I, I think I like the first one more in my heart because like it's I have that that history with it, you know. Yeah, I like I think I think I would like two probably just because it 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 does hit like a nostalgic spot for me. Um, but I think the the first was it Tom Holland. Um, oh, uh, would be pretty good. Yeah, that'd be pretty yeah. probably pretty good for me. I like the Vulture so. Yeah. Well, First of all, I'm going to go out on a limb and actually agree with Kale that Amazing Spider-Man is underrated. Um, I don't think it's in the top three necessarily, but uh, I enjoyed watching that movie. <laughs> and um, it's not it's got a lot of flaws. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, um, but I think Andrew Garfield was actually a really good Spider-Man. I, I enjoyed it when I saw it in theaters. It's a movie that like when I go back to it, <clears throat> or when I have gone back to it, which is admittedly not that many times, I just like don't feel like it does much that's like that feels standout, you know? Because um, I definitely agree with you where like there were things about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man that I liked, but I didn't love their version of Peter Parker for him. Mm-hmm. He was like very hip, you know? He's yeah. like, I'm so edgy and I skateboard in the rain while I listen to sad music. And I'm just <laughs> like, all right, like, come on. I don't know. There's some. There's something about that argument to me that's just so bullshit. Like, so like that doesn't mean he's not a loser and he doesn't get beat up. Like, he just has a cool hobby. Like, yeah, but, but it like, feels like there's a dissonance there. And and yeah, that, that that was one of the reasons that I didn't like. It was just like this guy's too cool to be getting beat up. He's like he he spikes his hair. He's not gonna he, the cool kids don't, don't won't hit him. And he's like, like good that looking. Make sense. You know, yeah. like it's like that wouldn't happen. You know, like that's not. I don't know. <laughs> like Tom Holland was like oh like like inundated into himself like from a character perspective he was he was he was shy around people this guy was like too forward to be able to not be a presence in in the school space I guess well I I, I don't know I mean this isn't the amazing Spider-Man cast but I do I do think that look it's in in school. It's not necessarily about who you how you look. It's it's about who you are, and nope. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like you, Fucking. <laughs> you know, there are lots of people who are, so, you know, someone you might think is conventionally attractive who gets bullied for all manner of reasons. How many, you know, how many girls, for example, you know, get bullied for being too overweight or too skinny or. You know, people get bullied for wearing glasses or, you know, whatever. Like, it's it's nonstop. So, it could be anything. Um, and he was definitely an outcast. Like, he wasn't... We, we see him as cool, but if you go back and watch the movie, he only got cool when he put the costume on. That's when he, like, was able to take down the robber and had his quips and Become stuff. Confident. And- yeah. Like he, he, yeah, he felt confident when he put that on. He, that's the, actually the whole crux of the movie. The main like big scene is when he rescues that kid, and the kid is scared, and he takes his mask off, and he's like, "If you put this on, you won't be scared." Mm, that's right, that's and right. that was that's good. Right. To me, that's one of the best scenes we've gotten in a Spider-Man movie. I will say also, <laughs> I think 
it was it was maybe a little overdone, but I think that um the the way that some of the romantic stuff is handled in that movie is like pretty elegant too. Like um Andrew Webb had uh I think he was the guy who directed Five Hundred Days of Summer. Yes. Um so obviously he has a little bit Mark of Mark ex- Webb? Is Mark it Webb. Mark Webb? Oh, okay. Yeah, he's Mark Webb. Mark, Mark yeah. Webb. Um what a name for a Spider Man director, right? <laughs> uh so, like, I think he was able to kind of bring some of that um, – his ability to kind of, like, m- romanticize small moments. And I think, like, that that conversation they have in the hallway where they're both, like, too awkward to, like, admit that they want to go out is, like – you know, th- th- there's there's definitely good stuff in that movie. Um, but, yeah, there's there's, like, so many, like, little things that really, like – that just, like I- – I don't love the whole – the way that they like rewrite the backstory is like kind of weird too. Like with the whole, like, Oh, his parents like made him Spider-Man cause they were scientists and like that, that was like, or that wasn't, that's not the story. What is it then? What's the, what's the detail you remember? They, they were spies. It's the same. That was, they were spies. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's but that's, yep. that's ultimate. commonly used. No, that's, that's that's mainline. That's six one six. Yeah, I don't remember. They were that. like agents of Shield or something. Yeah. Even in the even in the nineties cartoon, that's what it is. They're spies. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I I think the movie probably gets a lot of flack for doing things that the other movies hadn't done. So people were like, "Well, that's not right," and it's like, "Well, no, it kind of is." But um, and I think it's it's definitely overshadowed by. Amazing Spider-Man 2, because that movie sucks. Again, I liked it when I saw it. I'm not going to sit here and lie. Like, I was very emotionally invested in the Peter-Gwen relationship. That movie hinged on that. And I thought that what they did with uh, Harry Osborn was all right. Like, it wasn't great. But the scene where he kills her, sorry for the spoiler. Um, <gasps> That's fine. And then the forty-year-old the spoiler. Yeah. And then <gasps> the, the forty. The, Jesus. The sequence. Yeah, the book's been out since the sixties. <laughs> Fifty well, at this rate. Yeah. The sequence after that, where you see Peter going through his grief in every season, was I? I, I cried. Like, I really thought that that was great stuff. So, I understand, like, you know, the movie's not very popular. The Electro stuff wasn't great. But it had its moments. I'm not going to sit here and lie. Um, But as far as the best Spider-Man movie, I go with Far From Home. Uh, I think it had very great uh, action sequences. The Mysterio stuff was awesome. Yeah, Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah. That was really cool. There's just so much about that movie that's, like, just really well executed. Like the visual, the like obviously Jake Gyllenhaal's performance as Mysterio is good, but the way it's like shot is like so on point. I think, yeah. um, and it's weird because I feel like obviously, um, I remember something that you said, Sean, and I think it was when we talked about Homecoming, um, which was that like. It's it's kind of weird because Spider-Man's like so connected to New York and I feel like his powers are so based around like being able to traverse like skyscrapers and stuff like that. Um, so like taking him out of the city is always like um, 
it's fun, but it can be a gamble, I think. And I feel like in that film, it really pays off well because they make good use of the different locales that they're going on on the field trip and everything so that you get to see him in like a lot of scenes that you haven't seen in other Spider-Man movies, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, And I'm ready for them to like just drop this kid in New York City and let him swing around big buildings because they still haven't given us that quite yet. But uh, I thought Far From Home was a was a really, really strong detour. Um, I'm so excited for where they drop things to. You know, like the end of that movie like sets us up for that, right? For like a movie of where it's like Peter in his prime, like, you know, the bugles after him, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And like, I'm so excited to see, see Tom Holland get to dive into some of that stuff. Totally. Um, but I, I do have to <laughs> I do have to correct myself. I, now that we're talking about Spider-Man Far From Home, that was the last MCU movie, not Endgame. Oh, yeah. Oh, I totally <laughs> forgot that. I am forgot sorry. came afterwards. Yeah. Was that August? Uh, that was June. June? Yeah, that was uh, that was June 26th. So uh, we've still got uh, a, a little over, well, a couple months, I guess, until we do reach that point of a year since an MCU movie. But uh, I think Endgame is still very uh worth talking about despite that i don't think that really matters um i do want to get into a couple of comments that we did get um some listener mail that we got so we we got one from steve michael um and uh pete if you are able i would love for you to read this right so Steve wrote in and said, Hey pals, love the Superman episode, and I'd definitely be interested in a part two or even three down the road. I'm always into the character breakdowns. I've had arguments with friends who think Superman is a Boy Scout with boring stories, he's too powerful, blah blah blah. I'll agree, he can be difficult to write well, but that's a big, big difference from being boring. To me, Superman is very simple. He's the idea that we can constantly be better tomorrow than we were today. We can do the right thing solely because it's the right thing to do. Look out for people, or even animals, who can't look out for themselves. As cliche it is from Russell Crowe, he is, quote, an ideal to strive toward. I hold Cap in the same regard and view them as the leaders and rallying points of their respective companies. Imagine a Superman movie in the same vein as the first Avenger, where he feels alone and struggles with what is the right with what the right course is. I think a more humanizing film could do very well. That's all for now. I'll keep it short. A quick aside, thank you guys for using timestamps. The majority of episodes I listen to, the whole thing, but sometimes it's nice to skip to whatever section I'm most interested in. Keep it up. Thanks for nice. Steve. Thanks. Very, very uh, nice uh, mail. I'm very, very pleased to get that from you, man. Really appreciate that. Um, so definitely we will be coming with a part two of the Superman spotlight. We also enjoy those character spotlights. Um, so, yeah, you can look forward to that. As far as what you said about a Superman movie that uh, shows where he feels alone and struggles with what the right course is. I have to tell you, that's exactly what Man of Steel is about. That is literally what it's about. Yeah, but it's for other reasons that we don't like it, Sean. <laughs> well, it's, uh, he, you don't like it for the same reason you do like Captain America. He kills a bunch of guys. <laughs> he kills a guy. He kills one guy. All that collateral damage in on the way to fucking no wherever died. it was when if he you, kills on... If you... If you if believe you're it looking in comics, at all that destruction <laughs> porn, and it, you're telling me nobody died, you are Kale, blowing shit up my ass. If you believe it in comics, there's no reason you can't believe it in movies. That's ridiculous. 
why would I? Why would I not believe it in comics? <laughs> you you wait. So you believe in comics that Superman kills innocent people when he fights? Yeah. Okay. That's like what? That's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's coll- it's collateral damage. It's not. You know, he doesn't do it on purpose, but like it's collateral damage. Like, there's no way. So, do you have an issue with it in the comics? Sure. Never heard that from you. You never asked. <laughs> no one. No, never, it's that, it's that, never come up. No one who makes that argument ever makes the equivalent argument within the books. And it's, so it's very difficult to believe what you're saying right now, but I'll take you at, at your word. The only time I've like there are specific times when uh, creators go out of their way to show him doing his best to mitigate it like the thing that comes to mind specifically is uh snyder i think superman unchained uh he does some ice bullshit and catches a building with it and that saves everyone i guess there are time there are you know there are times very specifically when he does his best to mitigate it but like you can't do that all the time well in any event uh <laughs> that that if that's a if that is a negative for the film right then it has to also be a negative for the comics and i think it's weird that so many people made that point um and they made the same point about uh What's it? Uh, Avengers, I believe it was. There were, was it Avengers? Uh, yeah, yeah, the original Avengers that people were complaining about. You know, all the destruction and stuff, the Hulk smashing into buildings and all that. Mm. Um, I mean, the Hulk definitely killed people. That happened. <laughs> again, we don't know that. <laughs> You're right. That's that's me. That's me. Uh, that's a that's a hard read on my at, part. <laughs> at the very least, I feel like we could say that in both scenarios, people were left homeless and on the street. That is true. Okay. That is absolutely and potentially true. died because of that. Okay, I guess <laughs> from from falling rubble, something like that, or, or yeah. just being homeless, not having a home, no place to go. Just, <laughs> we're getting we're getting in the weeds here. <laughs> and, and, Are and superheroes that, ethical? That's what I want to ask. And that <laughs> that point that Pete just made about how we're getting in the weeds is how people talk about Man of Steel, and that's what makes me feel like people don't like it because they don't want to. Um, yeah, I, you, I think that's true uh, on some level. Like, I think that people try to articulate what they don't like about it, and I think they they harp on on those that moment, and then the whole thing with like his dad and like how he dies and everything. Um, spoilers, wee woo. <gasps> but I, 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 for me, it's just like it's a feel thing. Like, it doesn't it doesn't feel the way I want it to, you know. And and I just I've never been able to. To connect with it. Well, this also isn't the Man of Steel podcast, so I won't continue to go to bat for it. But, uh, Steve... It's been a weird theme on this one. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I always have to defend these movies. Uh, Go to bat for whatever other... What what other movies do people hate? You guys want to talk about Fantastic Four? (laughs) No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa now. Rise of the Silver Surfer? I mean, I could, you know... Silver Surfer was okay. I mean, I 
I, I thought like Silver Surfer himself was pretty cool. Now, now Sean, we're not the the Silver Surfer uh, fan cast here. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, but no, but to your point, Steve, I challenge you to watch Man of Steel again with that same thing you asked for in mind. Just do that. Let me know what you think. Does anybody else want to reply to uh, Steve there? Superman's been a character that I've uh, struggled to to connect with at times, and I think that uh, I'm definitely looking forward to like a, a second go at some of his other stories. You know, Red Sun is definitely up there. Uh, I think that there's a lot for me to connect to. It's just about finding the right stories, finding the the right to your point writers, artists that can really portray the character. Um, Kingdom Come is probably like another example. Yeah. So like, there's there's definitely a lot out there, and it's just sort of, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm down for it. You know, I, I'm excited to learn more about the character. For me, it's a continual learning process, especially for some of the more superhero characters. Uh, and Superman is definitely one of those where I've not explored enough. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, Kingdom Come is definitely a book that we'll have to read for that. Uh, just because I feel like... Love that book. Yeah, when I think about Superman, I think about Kingdom Come, for sure. It's one of the books I think about. Um, but yeah, again, thank you, Steve, for uh, for the message. We appreciate it. And then uh, last week on uh, episode 182 that we did, uh, we got a message from uh, Will Brashears hey. over on SoundCloud uh, when we were talking about, like... A director we would pair with a character who hasn't done a superhero film yet. And yeah. uh, he suggested Jordan Peele working on a Static Shock movie. Love it. Oh, cool. I was I was the one who replied on SoundCloud, love this idea. Mm. Mostly because I just love the idea of a Static Shock film in general. Like, make it fucking happen. Let's go. But, uh, yeah, like, Jordan Peele's a good director. Why not? If he, yeah. want, if, if, if he was interested in doing, like, a big-budget superhero movie, I'd be interested in seeing his vision for that, you know? Because, um, like, I didn't love um, – uh, This Is Us, I think, was the next one? Us. 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 Just Us. Sorry. that was That's another movie. Way different movie. <laughs> it's a TV show. Um, yeah, it's a TV oh, show. TV show. Uh, I, I didn't love Us as much as Get Out, but I feel like he's done such creative things with horror, which is a genre that I think is, like – not necessarily tough to do, but I think it's tough to do in a way that really like connects in a mass appeal kind of way. Um, cause it's so, there's so much that's been done before, you know? Um, so thinking of like the way that he was able to do something that was new and nuanced and like felt fresh in a kind of overdone like genre like that, I would love to see him do the same thing here, right? With like a big budget superhero movie. Like, wow me, do something fresh, man. Dude, I think that Static Shock is a character that has been completely mistreated and mishandled. And I know Dumbed. that like it's there's like a whole complicated thing with him or whatever yeah. rights-wise, but Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's why. Get out. Yeah, I've, the Yeah, go ahead. Just the Reader's Digest version if if you're not aware is I forget the name of the original imprint but like it was a milestone yep thank you yeah milestone was an independent 
publisher that ended up having like a contract with DC and but it wasn't like an outright purchase so like there's this weird limbo where like DC you know was responsible for the characters like wave of popularity obviously with like the cartoon and everything but like they don't really fully own him and there's been like disputes over the years of like bringing it back and then it not working and like a lot of you know kind of back and forth with the creators huh okay damn that's trash i actually read an article i i wish i could remember uh who it was by but it was talking it was the person was a person who was working on the show and he was talking about how you know the, the show itself the the ratings were were really strong but it always seemed like the bar for success would get higher every time that they reached a certain level so like they could never live up to the expectations that were being set and then like they didn't have toys really like they didn't support it even though it was popular and kids really liked it and i know for me i never understood how come static shock like when i was a kid how come he was not a hero i knew about already like why was it like where was he at in dc like how come he wasn't a a member of the Justice League or whatever it didn't make any Teen sense. Teen Titans, to me. yeah, and because he wasn't that, I didn't really like get into it as much. Um, yeah, like yeah, what you know? Go ahead, Kale. One thing with the on the toy line uh, at that point in time, that was when Cartoon Network really started not putting out as much toys, especially along the lines of like uh, Ju- Justice League. And uh, the Batman Beyond had a few really good ones, but then once Justice League kind of transitioned into Unlimited, they just it was done. Like they, you know, their toy lines had just dried up. Yeah, uh, I I just feel like Static. I mean, look at it, man. Like he was a black hero on TV, mm-hmm. and there were mm-hmm. like. Off the top of your head, can you think of a of a of a show, an animated show, that had a black kid as the main character at that time? I personally can't. Maybe there is one, but I don't know. Um, I really the only other contemporary thing that comes to mind is uh, is the Proud Family. Filbert, what was? Yes, yeah. Do you know that show? Is, is that what it was? Yeah, that was. He was a detective. Yeah. That was like on Toon Disney. That was like not like something like that. It's like the either way, right? Like I, Static was the only like show that I felt like was accessible because Toon Disney was a thing that was on like extended cable, so like most kids didn't see that fucking show. Whereas like Static was on WB, like that was Saturday morning cartoons, Pokemon, Static Shock, you know, Yu Gi Oh, fucking Jackie Chan Adventures, man. Like yes. that was the shit. Um, and I fucking loved Static Shock. And, like, I remember, you know, as somebody whose entire exposure to DC characters at that point, like, started with the Timverse and everything, like, that show was, like, you know, to me, like, just as good as, like, Batman or Superman or any or Justice League or any of those other shows. And I looked forward to that show every fucking week. Um, and, like, I, I totally agree with you, Sean, where I feel like it's just, like, it's such a shame that rights issues got in the way of letting Static be the icon that he should be, you know, because like 
he was so like to your point, like so ahead of of the curve with that, you know, where like it was a awesome character. He was young, he was hip, like, and it wasn't like lame, like you know what cartoon executives think cool teenagers act like. Just like he was cool, and like you know, like his supporting characters were cool. Like him and Richie had a great fucking dynamic. Like I loved that whole. You like you know universe that they had built out of like Dakota and like all of the the Bang Babies and all that shit like it was such a cool oh mythos, yeah you know it was so good man like and it's such a shame that like there wasn't more of it and that it didn't like keep that momentum you know and that there hasn't been a movie that there hasn't been a reboot of that show like anything you know just a bunch of people our age who are like that show was so good why 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 is that all there is seemingly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, voiced by Phil Lamar. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. fucking a! I forgot that Phil Lamar was the voice. Yeah, yeah. and like Phil dude, Lamar does fucking everything, dude. The crossover episodes that they did with with Batman the animated series, and then like with Justice League, were so good. Those like, there are was cool. The one where like I was like him and Richie go to the Justice League base and like have to fight Brainiac and shit. Like, oh, classic, absolute classic. Yeah, maybe um. Is it, I wonder if that's streaming on the uh, DC Universe app, Ooh, Marco. Would you, no, do you check. Know? I don't Yo. think so. Uh, if it's not, that's a crime. Like, let me see. <laughs> I would love to see that again, man. It's been twenty years almost since I've dude, seen. Dude, rewatch podcast. Just saying, I would. I would hard commit to that. Yes, that sir. All four seasons. Wow, guys. Wow, that's cool. Yo, <laughs> yo, and the, oh my god, and the comics too. Really? Yeah, from twenty two thousand eleven. This uh, it's only the eight issue series from two thousand eleven, and mm. then uh, a one special. Cool. Yeah, I definitely want to watch that, uh, and maybe we'll we'll do some content surrounding it. If you guys are into that, let us know at the comicspals at gmail dot com, or um, you can uh, hit us up on Discord, of course. Let us know if you're into that, if that's an idea that excites you, because it definitely excites me. I, like I just said, I wasn't in, like, I liked the show enough, but I, because he wasn't connected to everything else, I was like, who is this? You know, whatever. Um, I would love to watch it. I would love to watch it now. So, you know, again, let us know if you're into that. Gotta be, be superheroes. Yeah. So let's, let's move on. Let's jump into the news. We've got we've got a little bit of news to cover today. Uh, obviously, the comics industry is still in an interesting state, but things seem to be moving forward. It seems like, even though there have been conflicts about the way to get back into business, uh, everyone collectively wants to try. And so, we already know what DC did. Of course, DC went ahead and forged new relationships with DCBS and Midtown Comics to create new distributors, breaking the monopoly that Diamond has held for 20 years. Um, And, yeah, they have started putting out new books now. There are new books in stores now, as of this past Tuesday. Uh, We've we've got new books in stores. Uh, DC-exclusive books for the time being. But Diamond is now saying... That they are committed to uh, the 20th of May as the day that shops will have new books again. 
non-DC books. Now, of course, they did say before, uh, a few weeks back, that they wanted to do this, but they weren't firm with the date. And now it appears that they're firm. Other companies are are, are also saying uh, that they're ready to put their books out on the 20th. So that seems to be the industry's target date. Marvel is saying that they will have new books out on the 27th. Um, what's interesting is that the the target date for both Diamond and Marvel is Wednesday. Those are Wednesdays, not Tuesdays. Yep, of course. <laughs> it's, I don't know, not that interesting. It's the 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 norm. Wait a minute. I, DC. I thought comics came out on Tuesdays now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Yo, man, I mean, I I think we're about to see, like, uh, a little competition. Begun, the distributor wars have. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm kind of excited about it, honestly. Like, uh, uh, morbidly, at least. But I feel, I feel like uh, I think the worst case scenario, right, is that like the the system that DC has established crashes and burns, and they go with their tail between their legs back to Diamond, and like Diamond obviously is like, yeah, we're not gonna leave money on the table. Fine, come back to Wednesdays. If not, like, could like represent a really sizable and you know. Really, like, I think potentially impactful shakeup by seeing, like, do other publishers shift dates? What does that mean for comic stores and now have two days of inventory they need to manage instead of one? Like, I don't know. Like, it could it could really be a game changer. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to see DC as the second child get put back in their place. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder even though, because I know that, um, and, and at least this is for, for my store, um, they they typically get their books on Tuesdays, like Mondays and Tuesdays. So I wonder even if some of them might forego the changes because like, they know that people want to get their books and just push, push stuff either on the Tuesday or wait and push everything on the Wednesday. <laughs> you mean stores yeah the stores yeah, themselves like, like they just sit on it and, and put everything out new on wednesday anyway yeah oh that'd be yeah that'd, that would be funny that would be funny <laughs> hmm. that's interesting that's a thought i hadn't considered that i guess i guess Me neither. they could I, I don't know how that works i know they can't do the opposite um, right, right. But technically yeah right. yeah Technically, but, uh, though, though I'm sure plenty of stores do, but oh, oh, let me tell you, I, I used to get my comics early. Don't put anyone on blast now, Marco. I didn't. I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, go ahead. Oh, just quickly, one one thing about that Marvel date being a week later, they're gonna smash comic shelves. It is gonna be. I I just get the feeling it is gonna be a bomb of a release. Uh, in the in a big in a big way, not not a not a bad one. Yeah, it'll no. be launched with all new number ones. It'll <laughs> yeah. be a whole rebrand. So for the twenty seventh, all they have scheduled per their website is Amazing Spider Man forty three, Avengers thirty three, Marauders ten, Star Wars Doctor Afro one, and Venom twenty five. Huh? Damn. Only five bucks. I guess yeah. that's. 
It's a good move, I guess. What a, what a refreshing, uh, restrained move by Marvel. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty interesting. Like, you look at their solicitations. Like, it's not really until June where uh, June 24th where there's, like, a big like a, a dump, like a big number of bugs. Um, and even then, it's what? Uh, a dozen? Yeah, and even that, I wouldn't even... It's it's far less uh, egregious because, like, half of the list is trade paperbacks and hardcovers. Like, actual singles on the shelves is still only, like, seven? Eight? It's, yeah. not, that, it's not that bad. Like, it is showing, like, a far more restrained release schedule. Because, um, again, the only other really long list on here is, again, on July 8th, and that's 50% almost TPBs and hardcovers as well. Huh. Interesting. So it definitely looks like they're scaling back a little bit here. Yeah. And if you read the statement, they talk about how they're deliberately trying to ease back into their schedule because they want to help retailers as much as possible, which I think is what everyone needs to be doing right now. Uh, retailers are not going to be able to handle the same volume that they would have been able to handle three months ago. Uh, you got Marvel over here, huh? Yeah. Definitely. They come out looking real good, honestly, like given how DC's handled this whole thing. Marvel's like, oh, you know, we're working with you guys, like reduce schedule. We're going to get product back on shelves whenever you can. Like, it's like they come out looking like uh, like a hero here. I, I love the way that history rhymes because not even, you know, what, 20 years ago. Uh, 25 years ago Marvel and DC were flipped in this role because you had the Heroes World situation where you know Marvel bought Heroes World and then was it was publishing exclusively through them and DC were the ones who were like well we're going to sign an exclusive deal with Diamond and then the other publishers also signed exclusive deals with Diamond and then when when um, things broke down and Heroes World did not go so well, Marvel, of course, came crawling back and signed exclusive with Diamond. So uh, here we are again. Now DC is, is in that position. And I, I, I don't... I, I don't feel like DC is doing the right thing, but... I do think that they want what's best for the industry, ultimately. And it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. Um, Steve Jeppe actually did an interview really recently, uh, just this past Tuesday or Wednesday, where, yeah, where uh, he did an interview on YouTube. It was a live stream on the comic book news with Dan Shahin. Uh, YouTube page, and it was absolutely fascinating. I, if you're into this stuff, I encourage you to go check that out. I learned a lot from watching that interview, and I wanted to share a little bit of it because I, I do think that if if you're into this topic, which I know you know we've been talking about it a lot, it's it's one of the main things going on. Um, it it helps to hear from the horse's mouth, as it were, what he thinks is going on and what he thinks the solutions are. And 
the thing that made it so fascinating and must watch is that some of the very retailers who we've referenced on this show who have been the most outspoken, like Joe Field was uh, took part in this, um, those people getting to ask Steve questions directly made this really fascinating. So uh, th- th- there, were a f- there were a few things uh, that, that came up. So one of the things that came up, the very first question was, how do you feel about what DC's doing? And Steve said, and, and Steve comes across as a really nice guy. He comes across as a charming guy. Um, I really grew to like him quite a bit based off this interview. And he said, look, I never intended to be the only distributor in town. That Diamond didn't set out to do that. Uh, that was just, it just so happens to be what happened. And that they were actually investigated by the U.S. government in the early 2000s because of the fact that it, there was Diamond and only Diamond. And what the government found was that not only was, that, that it was a monopoly, but that in the case of the comic book industry, it actually was a, a monopoly that made sense. Because the way that the industry works, it would be very difficult for there to be multiple publishers because of the the agreed upon systems that the industry runs off of. Multiple distributors. Yeah, I'm sorry. Multiple distributors, yeah. Uh, so the government found that Diamond was not acting poorly and that it was a monopoly but not a, not necessarily a negative one, probably a positive one. So he he went on to say that he doesn't see a lot of publishers attacking Diamond for, you know, acting in bad faith in business or mistreating publishers or retailers and that the feedback that he gets is that, you know, it's it's largely positive. He but he did say that it's not as if he it's not as if Diamond and publishers never disagree. They do disagree. And it's not as if they've never had issues, but that none of the publishers have ever said that Diamond was so bad, that Diamond was acting so improperly, that there needed to be a change, which is why this hasn't happened before. He said he spoke to Jim Lee, and he said that Jim wants what's best for the industry, and Jim just wants to get books out. That that DC needs to get books out, and this is what they need to do. Uh, He said that he's not angry with DC but that obviously the fact that they're going to lose accounts sucks that it that it will it will hurt but he's he's welcoming the competition and he's ready to compete he spoke about the fact that Midtown and UCBS are accounts of his they're big accounts of his and that's going to be weird and that's something that I feel like has not been spoken about in this whole thing is that Diamond still gets books from or Midtown and UCBS still get books from Diamond and they're going to continue to get their books from Diamond. So they're a competitor that also needs Diamond. And that goes to show you how strange this whole thing is and, and what a what a wild industry the comic industry is. Um, do you guys want to respond to that at all? Yeah, I think um <clears throat> I think the thing that that sticks out the most to me when you lay all that out in that way is how 
you know, one of the things that I think you are probably um, the the biggest, like, the the one to be the most often to remind us of is that, like, you can't necessarily compare comics to other industries because they just don't work the same way, you know? And I think um, no two industries are the same, right? And I think it's, like, it's almost disingenuous to, like, draw lines between any of them because every everything is its own beast. But I think, like, looking at it through this lens does speak volumes about, like, how different comics are to other things and how um, unique the problem of publishing comics the way they've been published is in 2020, you know, because the game is so different and the margins for success are so different and the audience's um, resistance to a digital rev- revolution and also like how that affects the retail pipeline are different than almost any other industry in very specific and unique ways as well. Um, because no other media industry like at all is, is as connected to small businesses as comic books are, you know? Um, no other you know, competing media thing has the idea of like a community built around a location as part of the sales pitch, you know? Um, so like it makes sense that they are different, but to think of the idea that like <laughs> the reason that Diamond is has a monopoly is because no other company can like like if you were to split the business in half, that neither would really be profitable enough to make sense is something that like is I think an angle that we've maybe talked about, but not taken as seriously as maybe we should. Kale, what do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I I don't really, I don't really have (laughs) thoughts. (laughs) Diamond, diamond still sucks. Like, well, uh, I'm 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 honestly most intrigued by what Marco thinks because uh, Marco and I are probably most diametrically opposed on this issue, and I'm curious to know if hearing what Steve had to say about the the industry and the state of it and things like that, um, how does that where does that land with you? So I listened to a portion of the interview and I actually made it to the point where like they asked him about like the history. And um, they asked him some of his thoughts. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to see the whole thing through, but um, it changed some of the per, the perspective for me because it was it made sense like on paper, and I think that to me is where typically I need it to make sense, and in, in in the sense of that like the 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 financials there checked out, like the reasoning behind why like mathematically would have been needed. I think that at the very least and his his sort of reluctance to say that you know it was something that they had wanted uh, I think that was one of the things that that struck me the most was that you know th- this wasn't this wasn't intentional so if that wasn't intentional it wasn't a direct business uh directive or like uh a business action and I think that that was where I sort of um 
at the very least can say that there's a little more understanding there on Diamond's part as to maybe even say that they are like a reluctant monopoly and that the modes there work in the system because it currently has to work that way. Um, and I'm interested to your point earlier on how they have to continue to work with Midtown and DCBS. I'm interested to see what the fallout is. I think that there's still a lot that needs to, to happen and to, that needs to play out before, you know, you can, I guess a hundred percent say that this change is one way or the other, considering that his conversation with Jim Lee was about how from a business standpoint, they DC needed to put out the books. Uh, and, and assumingly because it, it affected their bottom line. Uh, again, we talked about that like maybe a week or two ago, just in terms of like, the actual books they are they are putting out, but uh, yeah, it was definitely a wrinkle and I think a welcome one. Uh, so mm. Mm. yeah, cool. Um, I think in general we have a tendency to feel the need to villainize the things or the people that we don't agree with and. It's easy to see Diamond or any or anything else as this monolithic, imperialistic, you know, uh, beast, right? This soulless beast. But I think one of the things that I've learned most about the industry in this process is that this is an industry that is run by people who love it. And it's unique in that way, in that at the top of comics is not you know, tycoons who got rich off oil and saw money to be made. And so they came on board and, you know, changed things up to maximize profits. The comics industry is run by people mostly who either were retailers before. Almost, almost in every single case starts with people who were fans as kids, almost in every single instance. If you look across the board at who runs the industry, then a lot of times they were either retailers or creators themselves. Almost in every single instance at the top, you will find a creator or you will find a retailer. And and specifically in the 70s, uh, there was a really cool, um, uh, you guys know Comicron, right? That website. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the person who runs it was on YouTube. He was he was in the comments section of this of yes. this uh, interview. Oh, cool! And he mentioned how comic book fans are the very people who saved the industry in the seventies. That because they wanted it to stick around, it was comic book fans who stepped up to the plate and created a lot of the systems that that allowed the industry to thrive for the next 20 years until the 90s and when things fell apart and then again it was comic book fans who took up mantles and came up with the idea of collected editions you know trades that didn't exist um so i think i think the conversation really ought to shift away from who are the bad actors in the industry and more towards 
what are the solutions that can solve the problems that we all know are present within the industry? Because the villainizing of people really it doesn't get the job done. It's not solving any problems. And I honestly think if you look at this thing, there aren't any villains to be found. And and to to that point on it being people who were fans, who are who were retailers, who were artists, who were, you know, people in the industry though, I do think that that to some extent limits where you can go because they've worked within the system and within the bound the the bounds of the system and therefore continue to maintain continue to maintain business within those bounds um i would say is not necessarily not to undermine your point but like to just just to say is, is like a, an additional thing there as to the, something that needs to be considered um that you're right the, these are people who love who love the industry um but comic book fans tend to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Sometimes and sometimes to a detriment. I would rather that comics be smaller and true to what the creators and the fans want than bigger and lose that. We've seen... You, I mean, look, man. You look at... <laughs> You look at where several creative industries are at right now, and it just feels like a wasteland of creativity. Movies just cannot stop rebooting things, you know? And, like, we're doing a podcast about comics right now, but you can't get away from comic book movies. And it's not because uh, all of a sudden Hollywood is run by people who just happen to love comics. It's because that's where the money is. And I don't want the comic book industry to become one that chases money more than it looks for fulfillment on the part of the creators and the fans. DC and Marvel already have that problem to an extent. And I would hate to see that become even more pervasive than it is. Image, Boom, IDW, Dark Horse are safe havens for creators who specifically don't want that. They get to work elsewhere because they don't want to constantly be shackled by the bottom line. And that's a problem that will exist if the comics industry were to shift in the way that you just mentioned. Um, just something that I think is worth considering because this is a creative endeavor first. Yeah, and I, it's interesting because I think, I think part of what makes comics such a unique beast too is that there are, I think there are no shortage of of examples that you can draw right in other places where like there are industries that are big money, but still have havens of creativity. But I think like with comics, it, it's unique because it's it's like not big enough to be i think um <laughs> big ideas shit money <laughs> yeah kind of right cuz i think i think it's not it's not big enough in the way that Sean said to i think have to worry about too much like corporatization you know and like having that like real mass media pressure 
because I think that's more applied to stuff based on comics than actual comics themselves. Um, and that's why I think a lot of people are critical of like, you know, the Marvel house style, you know, or like the fact that there's a lot of like sleek comic book media that looks similar because it sells, right? And fair play. Um, but I think in the same breath, like comics are big enough where they need an industry around them to support the the culture that we're talking about, you know? So like it needs to be big enough to be safe, but not too big to fail. Um, and that's like part of, I think, the appeal of comics in a big way is that they are a little bit niche, is that they are like, you know, being into comics is not a thing that everyone is into. So like you have that culture around it, you know, that it is this like shared language that you know, oh, you read comics, so, like, you know, we have that shared ground, and it's it's not the same as, like, watching TV, you know, because everybody watches TV. Um, and, you know, I often have echoed a lot of Marco's sentiments of, like, wanting to see comics grow because I want comics to thrive, you know? Um, but I agree that I don't necessarily want to see them become as popular as TV and movies and, and whatever because I don't... I don't know that that's what comics are and like I don't think that's necessarily what they should be um but in the same breath like I do worry about what the future of the industry looks like if it can't survive a 10% reduction if it can't um find ways to evolve because I think they're you know I think where Marco's concern comes from is that like if you only play the hits to the old fans like eventually you know, it, it becomes a relic. Um, and that's that's the, the space where it finds itself today, I think, right? Is like, how do you evolve with it without getting away from what makes it special in the first place? Man, you tell that to Metallica, buddy. <laughs> uh, so today we would have been talking about Black Widow, but we also would have been talking about the fact that it would have been Free Comic Book Day. Right? First Saturday of May, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. Very unfortunate that we're not getting to celebrate that today. I really hope that we get, uh, you know, Free Comic Book Day to come around at some point. Uh, that's another thing that Steve talked about in the interview was that they're looking at doing free comic book day potentially in the fall. I hope so. Yeah. I, 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 love, I, th- I love free comic book day. I mean, free comic book day is like one of the most important things that happens in comics yearly. Um, free comic book day and comic con. Right. Yeah. You need you need them. So and I I don't I feel like there's not a better at, at least in my anecdotal experience I don't feel like there's a better activator for children than Free Comic Book Day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, because I don't know about you guys, but every comic book store I've ever been to on Free Comic Book Day, you see families and you see kids grabbing what is probably their first comic, you know, or one of their first comics. Um, and that I think. I think that's really powerful 
And it's like it's a huge thing for stores, obviously, to get all that foot traffic and to sell stuff on sale and move shit that's been sitting on shelves or taking up space in their back room or whatever, you know. Um, and I think we've all made some of those big purchases that we've been thinking about on a free comic book day when there's like a nice little, oh, it's 50% off. Yeah, I'll buy that $100 book that's been sitting up there for three years or whatever, you know. Yeah. And it, it's it's great for us. It's great for them. But I, I really think that the the thing that bums me out the most is the missed opportunity for, for all those kids, you know, and seeing those kids who go and, and snag Spider-Man or Adventure Time or whatever and, like, potentially fall in love with comics, you know, because that is the real threat to, to comics is, like, is disinterest, you know, um, and, like, having an opportunity to, like, let kids – go up to a huge stack of books and be like, take as many as you want. You know, it's like, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. And I think for, for I know for my local shop that they also do, um, they might maybe have like an artist who is a friend come by. They might try to foster like the relationship there. Yeah. Um, you know, talking to people, somebody new might walk through the door. It's like, Hey, we're, you know, uh, come through. What is your name? I'm, xyz person um and uh help build that that community there uh and then obviously they do like a little thing uh afterwards when the store closes um and it's just it it helps solidify a lot of what is needed for stores to survive yeah and again like comics are about community in a lot of ways and what other industry has those kinds of like events you know that's a pretty i i think that's a pretty unique thing um so hopefully we do get that uh i really think that we need it we're gonna need it going forward the last thing that i wanted to bring up on the subject of the industry at large is the way that comics were received on tuesday so as we said dc through their new retailers uh Lunar Comics, a.k.a. DCBS, and Midtown, a.k.a. UCS, um, they shipped the first wave of DC Comics this past Tuesday. And from what I've seen, from from what's been published, uh, the books were shipped very nicely. Uh, The books received by stores that got their books from Lunar received their books in nice bubble wrap, and 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 packaging and i don't know about you guys but a lot of times when i go to midtown to get my books they'll be in all kinds of condition a lot <laughs> of times like i like to get books that are that are you know um mint not because i'm gonna sell them but because i want my books to be nice and but because it, i have ocd <laughs> <laughs> and it's often really tough to find a copy that's not creased or you know screwed up somehow on the spine area um, and these were shipped in bubble wrap, which doesn't happen. So I bring, I say that to say that even though they're competitors now for Diamond, maybe Diamond can learn a thing or two. Because yeah. Diamond is not a retailer in that regard. DCBS is. They're responsible for shipping books. That's all that they do. So if they piss off their fans because books don't uh, come in mint, that's going to affect their business greatly. Yeah, I I I, um, I used to order from them a, a lot 
to get maybe like back issues um my comic shop as well like like other different things and i always loved getting them like they're it feels like they're safe secure uh, especially for hard covers um like it was a it was a good feeling to be able to open it and it's just like oh it's like wrapped like, like even under the the bubble wrap it's like continually wrapped with like a, a larger plastic bag that you need to open up pull out like sometimes they have additional plastic on top of that to, to secure it um so yeah that that's that's a really good note uh sean i mean competition breeds excellence right like if there's another game in town and they're doing it better like you're gonna be forced to up your game so I hope that's the case because I'm I'm the same way with that stuff where like if I can't find a good copy, I won't buy it and I'll go to another store, you know, and snag it there. Yo, um, there there are people who like say, Yeah, this book's crease. Uh let me get like a dollar off. <laughs> Hagglers, man. Sometimes uh, one thing about that too though is that, you know, these companies are only dealing with one publisher, you know. Sure. And and that's a, a limited amount of books for now. Mm. And if this grows, how long are we going to see that? That level of care, sure. Yeah. Fair point. I think uh, DCBS being involved uh, makes me feel like they'll probably continue to deliver that level of quality because of mm-hmm. the fact that that's what they already do. Yeah. Um, mm. Every order that they ship is like that. So I don't think they would necessarily change because they're now shipping to stores. Sorry, DCBS is Midtown. Uh, DCBS is is the the actual name. Lunar is their their um, uh, the new distributor that, name. The new yeah. company, yeah. Yeah. right? D- DC, DCBS is is to consumer uh, as Midtown is. Right. Okay. Okay. So interesting stuff. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a ride. It's gonna be a ride. But after listening to Steve talk, I feel a lot more calm about it. And now I'm just interested in seeing how this plays out without the fears that I had before. So, uh, in more comics good news, it looks like we're gonna have more comics in Walmart than ever because uh, a new publisher is entering the fray: Allegiance Arts and Entertainment. Uh, that is f- uh, a, a, a new publisher created by Mitch Brettweiser. Oh, yes, indeed. Um, his wife Elizabeth Brettweiser and a businessman from the state that they live in, which I, is Arkansas, uh, David Martin, who is oh, uh, that explains it. <laughs> I didn't know they were from Arkansas. That's that explains it. That's the Walmart headquarters. Well. So, first of all, their books are going to be in 70% of Walmarts, Walmarts, uh, which is 3,384 of their stores. Wow. That's wow. a fuck ton of Walmarts. Starting wow, wow, on wow. May 5th. Um, and if you check out the article by ICV2, you can actually see the way that they'll be displayed. Uh, it's a pretty nice setup and something that I could definitely see attracting the eyes of kids. These are books that are going to be uh, $5 each, $4.98 to be precise, um, 24 pages, uh, standard stuff. And they're going to be aimed at, at, at kids. These are, these are, these are books for uh, that, that age group where you're most likely to start getting hooked to things, that 9, 10-year-old age. 
that they're looking to grab. So they've got four books that they're going to be um, launching with. All four of these, interestingly, are books that have been funded by Indiegogo. <laughs> and we'll get into that in a moment. So the books are Nora's Saga, written by Blake Northcutt, uh, with art by Kelsey Shannon. The Futurists, written by Patrick Stiles, with pencils by Butch Geist. That's a name I haven't seen in a while. Uh, mm. Rick Magar, Magar will be doing the inks and colors by Mitch and Elizabeth Brettweiser. Bass Reeves, written by Kevin Grivo, Grivo, uh, with pencils and inks by David Williams, colors by Kelsey Shannon, and then Red Rooster, written by Mark Pellegrini, with pencils and inks by Mitch Brett Weiser, colors by Elizabeth. So that's that's the that's the story on that. Um, what do you guys think about a new publisher coming in and immediately? Getting to work with Walmart on such a large scale and um, the talent involved. Broad strokes. Uh, as a kid, uh, th- this was how I got into Ultimate Spider-Man. They had uh, Ult- Marvel Ultimate uh, End Cap uh, in the toy aisle, and I picked it right up. Um, so, man, fucking lucky ass allegiance like (laughs) yeah i mean it seems like you know whoever that businessman that they are working with is probably doing some work for them in terms of getting those connections there you'd have to imagine um well and 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 what what i was saying about uh you know uh oh that makes sense is like if they live in arkansas they could just walk up to the walmart headquarters like (laughs) sure Sure, it works that way. <laughs> I mean, if you have that connection, why not? Yeah, right, like, right. If you if you have that connection, and it's it's a lot more likely than if they lived in New York, and you know, sure, yeah. Um, um, I, I mean, because the the Waltons are notoriously uh, hard to get to. <laughs> so, like that that aside, right? Um, I think just like on its face, I'm I'm with Kale in terms of I think this is just this is like a smart move. You know, in the same way that I was talking about with Free Comic Book Day, like getting uh, kids interested in comics is the best way to secure a future for comics. Um, And I think to your point, Sean, like doing stuff that targets kind of the like YA market is like that's that's when you imprint on things. That's when things become part of your like identity and your habits. And like, this is a thing I love and I'm passionate about, you know. Um, So, yeah, like connecting with kids who are at Walmart because their parents dragged them there and can you get me this book for $5? Oh, you want to read a book? Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that's that's a huge part of how I got into comics. You know, it was like just I was, oh, I want this trade paperback because I like Spider-Man or oh, I like Calvin and Hobbes. Please give me this. You know, um, and it'll get you to be quiet while I'm shopping. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, I I think like any way that you can hit kids where they already are, that's a good strategy. And like kids are not at comic book stores probably unless it is an event or they already have someone in their life who's into comics and is willing to take them there. But everybody goes to fucking Walmart. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the things, Sean, how many stores was that you said more or less? Uh, three, it was a uh, 3,384. 
So uh, I'm looking. Uh, I was I was trying to find like how many comic book retailers there actually are, and there's about this is as of a number from like 2017, um, about 2,300. So we know Man. that that's probably probably less. Um, so just just off that, I mean, this is this is a a, a dangerous play also just because. That that I don't know to what extent they'll be including them in the uh, in general retailers. Like I don't know if they'll be going directly through through Diamond through whatever else in order to actually get into those other kind of shops. So even if they're not, though, the fact that they are in Walmart and some of those Marvel, DC, Image, etc. books aren't, um, this might be incredibly advantageous for uh, for Allegiance. Uh yeah, they didn't they didn't really answer the question at least in the interview as to where else these books will be available. Um I think it I think it's probably a safe bet to assume that they'll be elsewhere. Um but he did say the interview was with Mitch. Uh he did talk about the reasoning as to why these are floppies and not graphic novels or you know, closer to like the DC giant format. And he said that the traditional format is important that you want to present comics as they are, as they typically are. If you're going to hook someone, uh, it's a good idea to, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. These aren't his exact words, um, but it's a good idea to keep the tradition going because if you're going to hook a young reader, you want them to appreciate comics the way that they're typically produced. Uh, so that was his reasoning there. And I feel like you go to a Walmart, you know, once a month or, or more than once a month, but like you go once a week or something to pick up uh, whatever you need for, for you know, the the next week. And I'm sure that the, the model there works because you're already going there. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And, and I mean, like, it's funny because. When you when we're talking about this, like we're talking about it, like it's this like revolutionary idea, and I think it is because of what the status quo of comics are right now. But like this is how people used to sell comics, right? It was at grocery stores and yep. newsstands, um, and I Mitch even says that in the uh, interview. He says I asked all kinds of people my age, younger store owners, how they discovered comic books. Nine times out of ten, the answer would come back to me as I discovered it in the Kroger at the grocery store while mom was shopping or was in the drugstore. Yeah, and, like, and we all know that. Like that's that's a known thing, and that's why this is such a good move. But we, you know, again, like this isn't revolutionary because it's it's being done by DC and Marvel right now too. Sure, yeah. Um, but for it to be a new upstart publisher, like that is unique and that is cool. Yeah. Well, and even the even the Marvel and DC books don't have the cool end cap. They they're relegated to like the trading card aisle. Next to the registers, if you can find or the them. books, like the the, read, the actual like you know book aisle, which a lot of WalMarts do have. Uh, they at least when when I was trying to find the the Swamp Thing Giants that would come out for Walmart, like those Walmart specials, they were only in at the end, like where the cards are, where like some like the the shitty toys are, and like a random shelf. Yep. So the fact that these have a centralized location in a place where uh, your eye can be drawn to them is huge. And they're like they're like these cool like if you guys you know aren't looking at the article, um, 
like we are. They're like these cool red stands and they're very bold. And like if you're a kid and it's just like, oh, this looks cool. Like I, I and like the colors are super or the covers are super vibrant. And like I feel like, yeah, if I was a kid, I would have been immediately gravitated towards this. You know, I will say, though, uh, that's pricey. Four ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit for a 24. Uh, well, I guess it's all story pages, but still for 24 pages. Man. Cool. That the, yeah, it's cool. That there's no ads. Yeah, cool. That there is no ads. I guess you can't find advertisers. Wonder I wouldn't regularly pay five dollars for for comics. I don't think like I think four ninety four or three ninety nine is like where it needs to be. I mean, that, I think comics are overpriced, but yeah, five dollars is rough. I guess in Walmart, it's a little different. Like, I don't know. You're probably not thinking of they, it the same way. Yeah, they probably take a cut. That too. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, do you guys yeah. go ahead? Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you guys want to address the fact? Yes, that, uh, because, okay. Okay. because ahead. specifically <laughs> because uh, when I first brought this up, like maybe a month. A month ago in the, in the Discord, uh, I was like, "Oh gosh, check this out!" And I was like, "Hmm, these names sound really familiar. Uh, I can't put my finger on it, but this arch dope." Um, and I was like, "Hey, Brett Weiser, she was on Killer Be Killed. That's a great colorist." And I was like, "Wait a minute, uh, I feel like I asked Sean. I'm like, why do these names sound familiar?" And he's like, "Well, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> let me let me lay it out." Um, apparently Mitch, who is the husband of Elizabeth Brettweiser, uh, is a comic skater. He, he courts comic skate. He's comic skate adjacent and he seems to have similar beliefs, but he's never gone all the way. But I, I mean, look, you know, he, he, does his thing through Indiegogo now. Um, he's kind of left the mainstream industry pretty much. Um, and the people that he works with by and large nowadays are either also comic skate adjacent or just straight up members. Not that it's a not yeah, that, that it's a bl- group or a club, but like you get it. That uh, Blake Northcutt is uh, she's a CG or isn't she? I don't even know who that is. I feel like she's a... I'm going to have to look her... I feel like I called her out a few episodes ago. She... I think she's one of these women who likes likes to play with the, the big boys or whatever, and she thinks Ethan Van Skyver is right. And... <laughs> but that's... Um, that's the most I know about. It. I think she's written for Marvel once. Apparently, uh, Catwoman for DC. Okay. Well, um, it's kind of weird because this does put, you know, a comics gate adjacent group of creators very, very close uh, to where kids are are buying books. But um, from what I've read, these are just regular books. They're not books. That yeah. Have yeah. They're not trying to indoctrinate anybody or whatever. They're just telling stories. And so, cool. Fine. You know, the the politics aside, uh, I am all about kids getting their hands on comics. 
And then they'll make up their own minds as to, you know, what they decide they want to be politically as they get older. I don't know that what Mitch, Elizabeth, or whoever else think about comics or think about humanity is going to be uh, something that these kids are going to be confronted with. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. So the comics industry isn't the only industry that's rethinking things because of coronavirus. And this was a really interesting story that I thought we could chew on a little bit because the producers of the Arrowverse, um, you know, Warner Brothers Television and the, the producers there, Greg Berlanti and, and, and everyone else, are talking about the ways in which their shows have to change now. And... It was, it's really, it's really fascinating because I don't, I guess I didn't think about the fact that if, if you're going to continue to film now, you have to do it in a way that respects social distancing. Um, so I'm just going to read a couple of the quotes here from that the Newsarama article pulled out. Uh, I just, just, you know, follow me here. So we believe we're going to need a plan for limited physical contact between actors. And that comes from the co-president of the studio, uh, Susan Rovner. And in- well, there goes Riverdale. <laughs> intimate, <laughs> intimate scenes may need to be reimagined or even reconceived. Like in uh, Bollywood, just make a dip put in a dance sequence. <laughs> oh. That'd be cool. There you go. Riverdale saved. No. Yep, Riverdale saves. They'll fucking do it. (laughs) Brett Paul, who was uh, the other co-president, said uh, stunts that are hand-to-hand, face-to-face, and require physical contact uh, would likely need to be removed. But that stunts from six feet away may still be okay. But you can just Uh, do the, uh, what is it, the the, from from 60s Batman. Pow! (laughs) <laughs> about it i mean even he even he had at least you know six inches on you know near someone yeah right he had a, at least grazed the face stage fighting so let me actually just finish reading through these quotes here now we want to be really clear no one is dictating that the flash should now talk down bad guys from his bedroom via zoom that would be a terrible terrible episode of the flash <laughs> but we are saying that we are I going to be one. very real that there are going to be very real challenges ahead and it is not business as usual our focus is on making the most of what we can do while respecting the what's and why's of what we can't uh and then it was added that wb employees have already contracted coronavirus and then uh paul went on to say and in our minds, one loss is simply too many, especially if we can prevent it or help prevent it. I understand that, you know, you want to get back to normal. You want to film. You want to get, you know, shows in production. You want to get people paid. But what sense does it make to do something like this if you're going to so drastically alter the content that you're putting out that it can't be what it's supposed to be. Like, how can you have a, a, you know, a Supergirl show that doesn't feature physicality? 
or a Batman you're gonna have show. To, we're going to have to pray that it doesn't get altered further. Boo. Oh, I didn't get that. So, never mind. <laughs> it's bad. Um, I, I mean, but it's, it's, that, it's that thing that like everything else, you know, in the case of everything else, it's like, but it has to go on. Like, you know, they 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 have to do something. Yeah, but I I don't. I'm with Sean on this one, man. Like the for them to like actually properly practice social distancing, you can't have a cast and crew full of people. You can't even film a scene of people like sitting around having a conversation if they need to be six feet away from each other all the time. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like you're either going to need to make compromises to that alter the content in such a way that it really doesn't make sense. Or you're going to have to alter production in such a way that, like, the scope is going to have to be more limited. And that's something that they could potentially do, but I'm kind of with Sean where I really feel like the move is to just, you know, like, you're Warner Brothers. Like, take it on the chin and, like, wait. You know, like, you can afford to, you know, pay people salaries who need to be paid to stay on and... Otherwise, hunker down and wait. Like it's 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 missing like one season of television, and I know that that's a lot of money, but like, but it might not be. It's the thing. Like, I guess. there are articles coming out now that are saying that this could go on for the next year and a half to two years. Yeah, I mean, if the if the timeline of like a twelve to eighteen months for a vaccine is is true, then you know that is like I guess more like two seasons depending on the show but i don't know man there's i just a, um, go ahead marco sorry the, the, there's a there was an image going around and i'm trying to find it um about like uh, uh using different camera lenses uh and certain techniques to make it look like people are closer uh like using a wide uh, wide angle versus a loom a zoom mm. it makes it look like there are um i just i just found it I'm going to put it in the chat really quick, but uh, there there are certain ways to get around it. And, and to your point, you're going to have to change, I think, production more so, like have, you know, much smaller crews, be um, just figure out probably you're going to have to do like single, was it like they used to do back in like the 50s and 60s, you know, one single camera shots. Uh, you can't have the, the two sort of over the shoulder. I mean, you probably could, depending on how far it is and with certain technology, but um yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be limited in how many people you're gonna have on the show, and that obviously is again an attempt to want to regain the normalcy, but uh, ultimately the new reality I think has set in, and and I, at the very least I'm glad that people are thinking about this. I love I love the idea like that Marco said where like all these shows will just become like single camera. And it'll be like, um, you know, like you'll you'll have to like have hard cuts when people are talking when they're having yeah. a conversation. So it's just like close ups, but they're actually six feet apart having this dialogue. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh yeah, yeah. And and yeah, you and see what, what I mean? What, what yeah. kills me is like they're all thinking about this and like trying to be really um, conscientious, and the WWE is just like. <laughs> going full bore like, nah, like they, right, they're right, doing right, wrestlemania right. you know like you got guys sweating on each other uh no big deal 
But um, yeah, Leading I don't know. on each other in the worst case, right? Like <laughs> to that point, though, if they're like uh, properly sanitized, I don't know. What would you even do? Like take a shower before and after you get onto the thing, right? Like I, I, I'm sure there are there are reasonable measures to make that work safely. I don't necessarily know that the WWE is taking those measures, but I think the problem is that. And obviously, this is not the WWE podcast, but hey, I'm going to talk about this. Like, <laughs> I, I the difference there is also that like it's a live show, so they have a ton of people that need to travel from town to town, state to state, every night for it to be the normal product. So like, there's like no way to not. There's no way for it to be business as usual. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, to Sean's point, they're, like, trying to really skirt that line literally as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't have wrestling from six feet away. Like, I know it's not real, but Jesus. Yeah, um, right? Like, <laughs> that's that's the line. Yeah. Everybody has superpowers now. <laughs> Yo, yeah, that'd, be so, crazy, that'd be a crazy story thread. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I don't have an answer. I don't think I know better than WB on how to do this, but I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I don't know. You either take the risk or you or you just don't film. I feel because all of a sudden all your shows are just going to be insanely weird, and that's going to affect quality and it's going to affect you know that could that could affect whether or not a show even gets to stay on the air. Sure. Because if yeah. if it sucks and people don't like it, then all of a sudden now the show's canceled or at the risk of canceling, and now the people you were trying to keep working lost work anyway. So interesting to note, though, is that WB um, owns DC, and DC is forcing they they're the ones that force the issue in comics. So. The reason why I bring that up is it's kind of interesting that Warner is like definitely full speed ahead on filming shows, but they want to make sure they do it right to protect people, but they won't protect them enough to not film. And then in the comic (laughs) space, they want to put comics out and do it safely, but not safely enough that they're going to not put comics out. So acceptable loss. it it sort of makes me wonder if they're in a financial state where they they can't film or drop comics or you know what have you or if you know maybe maybe marco's right maybe they're just like fuck it we gotta get content out there so we can be the leaders again everyone else be damned i think it's probably a lot of all that yeah yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the companies can like acquire debt to to be able to uh to mitigate. But you, there's only so much that you can acquire at, at that level. Yeah, and I I feel like <clears throat> the fact that there's like a lot of uncertainty right now in terms of what the timeline on everything is is probably a, fa- a factor in this as well, right? Where like if it was like okay, cool, we we know that it's a six month window that we're going to eat these costs. And like, that's all we need to do fine. But when you're like, well, it could be 12 months. It could be 20 months. Like 
that's when they're like, all right, like we need to, if this is the new reality, we need to adapt, not just sit on our laurels and take on debt and lose profitability and lose the confidence of our shareholders. And, you know, like when you're a, a corporation of that size, like you have a lot of masters to answer to. This also, this story also sort of reminds me of um, <clears throat> the the writer strike. Um, remember how how much uh, loss lost suffered in uh, was it season four mm-hmm. heroes mm-hmm. too? Yeah, it's like heroes bo- too. Literally, yeah. both of those shows went from being like hot, yeah. talked, must talk about, must watch TV to like, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this that is also the industry saying, "Look, we got to figure something out because we can't go through that again." Yeah, but I mean, to Sean's point, I feel like I think taking the loss of not producing your show for as long as you can't, and then coming back and there being fervor for your return rather than creating a subpar or potentially shitty season of television that loses interest so that when you are able to return to normal, you have less people who care. It's a gamble. They're both gambles, but yeah. Yeah. I think some shows are going to be able to do this better than others though. Right? Like, cause uh, Kale made the joke about Riverdale, but like, it's true. Like a huge part of that show is like, you know, romance and sexuality. And like, how do you do that? How do you have like, intimate love scenes if people can't touch each other you know bollywood cut scene works for bollywood then i just have to embrace the weirder stuff happens on riverdale Riverdale. i just saw i just saw this season their big threat is tickling (laughs) (laughs) yes they're gonna have to embrace sex we gotta get back into sex thing that's a good yeah there's a whole lot right there I feel like with Riverdale, you just lean into what's happening in real life and do a season that's about the virus and then mm. just have everybody have to be at home. It's a fucking it's a fucking season of bottle episodes is what it yeah, is. Yeah, just do that. Like, that could work. Last point on this. I feel like it's so disingenuous. Now it's like getting annoying. It's so disingenuous to think that six feet away and no one will ever contract coronavirus on your set. That's one really loss is simply too many. Really Unless dumb. that means we have to stop working. That's just not realistic at all. If you're gonna film, just be honest about it. Don't BS in these interviews and talk about some six feet. You can't do that anyway. And if you do, if someone on set has coronavirus a lot of people are going to have it. Just the way it yeah. is. Just, just take. I don't know. I, I, I mentioned this when we were talking about the the comic stuff. Like, there's, there's an acceptable risk you can take. And I mean, if if that's what they need for their business to continue to operate, I don't think that it's wild to think that that isn't acceptable. Considering we're 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 getting closer to a point where. We're not trying to we're not trying to like ultimately cure it before we can get back to business as normal, but we are trying to just get it back to a semblance where we can at the very least uh manage the 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 new people who do get sick. Marco is uh very heavily in in the camp of uh letting humans die to keep businesses running. <laughs>
the fucking COVID grim reaper. Yo, if, you can, Listen. if you can keep them alive in the hospitals. Oh, Marco, stop. You know, yeah. Archie from the hospital. That's a there season. You go. Look, now is the time to lean into doing weird specials. Okay? Like, let's do some animated specials where you get everybody to do voiceover. Do a special like they did with Parks and Rec where everybody's on Zoom. Like, you know, get a little creative for a while, people. All right? We don't... <laughs> let's do an episode of, and I think they actually have, an episode of Legends of Tomorrow where they're all puppets. Puppet hey. universe. There you go. I think they have done that, actually. <laughs> it works How are you going to get all those puppeteers to be safe, though, Kale? That's the problem. Fuck, you're right. Well, they got to do it like Muppets. Have you ever seen the di- the original diagrams of how uh, Jim Han- Jim Henson would operate Kermit? He would he would they would have the set on top, and then he would be in like a little cave below that had like an air tube, and he would operate it, you know, and and he would be watching what was happening on a little monitor. <laughs> wow, it's elaborate. So we don't know when we're gonna get new seasons of television we don't know when we're going to get new movies and when we do start to get tv and when we do start to get movies that haven't been filmed yet we don't know what they're going to be like and so we're left with the past and we're left to look at the things that we love and the things that we have loved and uh engage with them and talk about them because there's nothing else to do So that brings me to our main topic where we're going to be looking at Avengers Endgame one year later. And we're going to talk about the legacy of it and why it was so important, what it did for the MCU. um, And, you know, some of the things that uh, we've learned since then that 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 they kind of paint a different picture on what that movie could have been had things gone differently. First, the context. Uh, Avengers Endgame is the final movie in the 22-film epic saga uh, that we now call the Infinity Saga. Um, It was released here, at least in the U.S., on April 26th of 2019, with a premiere in L.A. on the 22nd of 2019. Um, It grossed... $2.8 2.8 billion dollars making it Holy the shit. yeah making it the highest grossing film of all time uh not adjusted for inflation mind you if adjusted for inflation is the fifth highest grossing movie of all time Holy shit yeah and it is the easily in both categories the highest grossing superhero movie ever um is it the longest? The highest grossing. <laughs> probably. Oh, oh, you're asking also, is it the, the longest? It probably um, is also the longest. <laughs> it's three hours and one minute. And I, so think, I think that puts it at the longest superhero movie. Um, it, it actually, I mean, it, it destroyed its budget. Its budget was $356 million. Wow. And it made $2.8 billion. So not good. only did it gross really high, that's a ton of profit. Yeah, it's like five um, times return. Yeah, even assuming that they you double, usually I think that's the thing they say, yeah. you double that for marketing. Yeah. But even so, that's a pretty fucking hefty return. <laughs> that's quite the take. Uh, Avengers Endgame saw the farewell, the final appearance 
of Chris Evans as Captain America and Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Uh, presumably, we won't be seeing Thanos again and, um, you know, lots of change within the MCU with Endgame. I want to I wanna kind of take us back to what it was like just before Endgame came out. Because we talked, I remember we talked a lot about the moment that Black Panther was. And it definitely was that. But I think in a different way, but in, in, in its own light, Avengers Endgame was a moment as well. Because it felt like the whole entertainment world was waiting with bated breath for this movie to finally come out. Um, it felt like you couldn't go on a website about entertainment that didn't have an article about this movie and you couldn't talk to a person who was inclined to be into not necessarily even nerdy stuff but just like movies in general that wasn't excited about this movie it felt like a big deal it felt like comic books made it with this movie just because of how massive it was no yeah it was definitely a moment i think in that it was a success to the the superhero genre and like a success to 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 like the first ever event i feel like experienced on screen and i think that's incredibly powerful cuz cuz that's that's obviously a a staple of a lot of superhero comics and for it to to be translated in that way um, in episodic format, in uh, it, it felt like a serialization, and th- that was cool to see. Um, it, it was it was really really interesting to see how how well it worked as well as a tactic to bring people back to the theaters. Um, I remember when when I went to go see it, you know, I stepped outside. The sun was beating on my face. I could feel the wind. There were people walking. Um, sorry, back to the movie. Uh, and and then uh, getting to the theater, you know, I could. There were people next to me, and and you know, I could hear them crunching popcorn. Oh, I see. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, but but you know, but I, I, I do brushed up against me, and I didn't immediately panic. <laughs> but 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 uh, somebody coughed, and I didn't think twice about it. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 actually though it um it was cool because like everybody was hyped to see it like in the theater everybody was there for the same thing there was like five showings of it or something you know and um it was just it was just energy and that's that's a cool moment I think yeah I think to me um <clears throat> I remember feeling the same way I kind of did um when I was sitting watching Avengers for the first time which was kind of um it felt like a victory lap for what Marvel studios had achieved, you know? Um, because I think in, in the same way that like, I remember sitting in Avengers and being like, I can't believe this movie actually exists. You know, I can't believe that this movie that like I dreamed about or read all these, you know, wish lists in like wizard magazine in the nineties and that kind of thing of like, how cool would it be if there was an Avengers movie that would never happen. Right. Um, and then it was real and it was, and it was good, you know? And I, I think Endgame felt like the cap to that, 
you know, to that like era and that moment for um, superhero movies in general, you know? And I think like the idea that the MCU for as much flack as it gets, I think it was the first time that like, I think a studio really hard committed in a lot of ways to what comics are in that they're weird. And it tried to streamline them, sure, so that they were, like, more understandable and more accessible. But it didn't stray away from the weird corners of the MCU. And I think, like, the fact that it got the world to be excited for, I can't wait for Captain America to meet this talking raccoon and his tree friend is, like, an achievement that I also think it doesn't also get as much credit for as it should sometimes. Um, You know, like... Uh, my, you know, like how many, like just people's like, you know, suburban parents do I know who like know who Rocket Raccoon and Groot are now, you know? And like, that's, I think when I, when I, when you get to Endgame and you have that moment where, you know, the portals open up and it's all of a sudden it's every, you know, motherfucker we have ever seen in these movies, like teaming up, having their moments, having those little beats where it's like, what would it be like if, you know, these two people met and these two people fought and getting to see like everybody have that moment that I remember having as a kid reading events for the first time is like, is really, really cool. And and it, it's not just an achievement for the superhero genre. It was an achievement for film. You know, it's nothing like that had ever happened in movies before that, like an entire generation grew up with this series of, you know, the same characters, like constantly evolving in that way and and watching like somebody like Robert Downey or Chris Evans play that character for so long. Like we had it with Hugh Jackman, but it wasn't nearly as like cohesive as this, you know, what do you got, Kale? Nothing good. Yeah, nothing good. It was fine. It was good. I'm glad. What I'm God. glad you guys had a good time. I don't. Kill <laughs> oh. doesn't enjoy anything anymore. I just didn't. It. I'm sorry. It just didn't mean that much to me. It. It just didn't. <laughs> what, what did Phil say that one time? Have some fucking fun. <laughs> I did ten years ago. I'm over <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was a kid. And I used to play with action figures. And the coolest thing to do was to put characters together that you never got to see together. Like, I didn't read comics when I was, like, that age. So I didn't know that massive crossovers happened. The coolest crossover that I ever saw was the Secret Wars crossover from the Spider-Man 90s cartoon. And... So the idea of, like, being able to, you know, put together, like, Spider-Man and, and like, Captain America and Iron Man and the Hulk and Wolverine at the time was really wild. Wolverine wasn't even an Avenger yet, you know? Um, and that was something that excited me so much that I remember thinking like, man, I wish that this was something that I could watch. Like, it's cool for me to play this, but I want to see this, you know? Um, I want to experience this in that way. And then there were the games, 
we got like Marvel Ultimate Alliance. And in that game, you could you could do those character mashups and they were a lot of fun. And the stories were um you know, they embraced the fact that you were you were putting all these different characters together. But it still wasn't a movie, you know? Like we had the X-Men movies, but those were the X-Men. They belonged together. And then we had the Fantastic Four movies, but again, they're the Fantastic Four. They go together. We never got that crossover. And Pete spoke about how important Avengers was. And it was that. It was this huge moment. And it was this opportunity to get to see the Avengers come together. But again, in my mind, at that time, they're still the Avengers. They go together. Endgame brought everybody together. Endgame gave us those weird combinations that you really don't ever see. Yeah, you might see them in the comics, but even something like what Pete brought up, Cap and Rocket, you know, eh, they don't really cross paths. I can't think of a panel that they were on together, personally. But the movie not only gave us that, not it not only fulfilled the, you know, wildest imagination of a child sitting in his room, sitting in their room, uh, you know, playing with action figures, wanting that to be a reality one day, but but it also fulfilled the fantasies of comic book fans all over the world who grew up with comic books not even being cool, like with pro- probably maybe getting beaten up for being fans when they were kids, um being bullied, being made fun of, or that being something that you kept in the closet when your friends came over because you didn't want to be embarrassed to let them know that they like it. And now everybody that you know likes it too. And it's mainstream. And it made $2 billion. So it's really a watershed moment for everybody involved, for the fans, both new and old, for the people who made it happen, for the actors, the crew, everybody such a massive success it's it's hard to overstate how big of a success it really was and i think the coolest part about it is that it was actually good you know um it was actually a really good movie it didn't sacrifice quality for those moments that we just talked about it felt like it earned everything that it did because of good writing, but also because of the 21 movies that had came, come before. Um, and that's a really crazy thing to do. So it's awesome that they were able to succeed at that. And we reviewed the movie. You know, if you want to celebrate the year anniversary, you can go check out our review uh, that we did for it. We all liked it. I, I don't remember the exact scores we all gave it. I know for me, um, it's my favorite of all the movies, the MCU movies. Um, and I think we all kind of had it hovering somewhere in our top five to seven. I think that's probably fair to say when we did our, when we did our rankings. Um, so yeah, comics pals, fans of Avengers Endgame, to be sure. I remember that after Avengers Endgame came out, there was a, a feeling and, and it, I think it was it was pretty pervasive, and I think I was probably the only person on this show who didn't feel that way, that we needed a break, that we needed a significant break 
between Endgame and the next movie up. Uh, obviously, Far From Home followed up just a couple of months later, but if Marvel Studios had it their way, there wouldn't have been a Spider-Man Far From Home. There wasn't supposed to be a Spider-Man Far From Home in that slot. It was supposed to be a year. That was the original intent. Uh, now, with the coronavirus and the fact that we're not allowed to go to the movies, we're still waiting on Black Widow, which now is, is slated for November 6th. So I think Endgame kind of takes on a little bit of a different um, meaning now. When you look at what that movie was about, it was about the world, not just the Avengers and not just the Guardians or whoever else, having to deal with the aftermath of a catastrophic event that was an invisible force that altered the lives of humanity forever. What does that remind you of? I don't see what you're throwing out there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I think, I think you're right, Sean. And I think I, I mentioned to you before we got on the episode, when you, uh, had posted the show notes and I saw that this was going to be our main topic today, it immediately got me thinking of that conversation of the overall feeling of us being like ready for a break and, you know, wanting to have some space, I think, uh, to allow Endgame to breathe. But also I think because, um, you know, it, it's been 10 years of there being an MCU movie, you know, two, three times a year or at least once a year. Um, and I think that space was needed and it's funny because now that it's getting extended um i think it is ultimately a good thing because it's going to i think continue to give us that you know that space that i think a lot of fans needed but i also think that like coming off of this catastrophic event to your point Sean like i i we said it last week with the superman episode like i feel like we're going to be in the mood for some some superhero shit you know, like we are going to be in the mood for a story about like, you know, heroes who overcome adversity and, you know, um, and like the sun rises again on a, on a better day. Right. Like, I think we could all use a little bit of that right now. Um, so I think between the space that we got just because of the natural endpoint in the, um, you know, in the franchise, I guess, like the I think the new normal is gonna like continue our desire for superhero media, um, which we've I think talked about off and on over the years. Like, when does that bubble finally burst? Um, to me, this does this seems like an, an event that will like almost certainly extend the desire and like the the need for it. So, Pete, what what I'm getting at, and this is big brain stuff here, uh, Disney. Oh, in tandem no. with 5G oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> caused the coronavirus. Think about it, right? They Think they knew it. it was ending. They knew that they had their hot streak. Teamed up teamed up with Warner Brothers. They, they, they knew they had the hot streak, right? They they hit it from both angles, the movie industry and the comics industry. No, see, I and I don't even think I don't think they're in cahoots with Warner Brothers. They're using this to put Warner Brothers under right now. Oh shit! That's the real big brain shit. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh. no, but but to, to to your point, Pete, I think um, I think being able to come back to something that 
maybe is a little not necessarily simpler, but something that is like, okay, you know, this is the bad guy. This is something that we can beat. This is something that we can unify in order to to um to take down, I guess, is uh something that I, that's is simple enough that people can get get behind can use as an illusion and and it, f- it feels good you know when you get to punch something in the face you know if if you're i was i think we mentioned on a super superhero episode i mean super superman episode um that you know you sometimes sometimes you just want that and i think that that'll probably be something that people will want they're frustrated um and that's one of the easiest ways in order to to do is pick up pick up a superhero comic or pick up a uh, or go watch one of those movies where you can visualize the bad guy. It's pretty straightforward and knock him out. Yeah, right. I mean, I think I think uh, big spikes in popularity for superheroes like often are like you know kind of connected with times of like overall like when like the country's going through a tough time, you know. Um, and like, I feel like to that point that you're making Marco, like with the way things are right now, right? Like obviously coronavirus to the, to the point you made before Sean, like it is this invisible enemy, but there's also a lot of invisible enemies that I think people are frustrated with right now, you know, whether it's the government or, you know, corporations or any of the problems facing our world, like the idea of there being a tangible, like, you know, evil that, you know, you could just beat. And that fixes everything is like hugely appealing. You know, it's hugely appealing wish fulfillment in a time like this. Totally. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of unfortunate in a way because Avengers Endgame was so successful and such a rally moment for fans. You almost wish that Avengers Endgame was the next movie up because, you know, Black Widow, I don't know how it's going to be. You know, we gave our review of it earlier yeah. in the show, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I should. <laughs> it's it's not for, for, for as good as it could possibly be, right? It can't be what Avengers Endgame was. And I would love to have the kind of movie that that was i think back to that clip of the reaction that fans had when cap first picked up the hammer um mjolnir if that were something that we were going to get to see in theaters once they're reopened you know could you imagine what that would mean you know a comic book movie is the is the movie that people rally around in this time of crisis that kind of gets us through it that's kind of that cathartic experience uh, that we get to have sort of kind of like what Spider-Man 1 was after 9-11. Uh, I, I just feel like as much as we needed an endgame when we got it, we kind of need it more now. Yeah, or, or another movie like it. Yeah. You know? And yeah. uh, it's a bummer because, like, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to shit on black widow before we've even seen it but like i i don't think that there's any way that it can be like the film that we're looking for right now you know like it's uh it's it's like it's just not i don't think that anybody's like clamoring for it and it's also like 
you know, it's a movie about like an assassin family and everything. Like it's not, and you know, who knows? It might be good, but I just like, I think we, we need like a little bit of the, like the classic kind of thing right now. We need the classic, like, you know, like again, that imagery of, of Captain America, like beaten down, like no way he's going to win, stands back up and then like, oh, like, oh, we get, guess the cavalry's here, right? Like that's what we're, that's how we all feel right now. You know, and, like, I think, like, we said last week, that's why, like, I feel like a, a good Superman movie would be so perfect right now. I think a good a good Spider-Man movie would be so perfect right now, you know? Like, we need, uh, we need a, like, a, a hero that we can rally behind. Yeah. So, post-Endgame, I think, you know, we, we talked about the fact that a lot of people kind of felt like, we're ready to breathe on this um but it was definitely from the beginning people were talking about it as one of the best comic book movies of all time if not the best a year out granted none of us rewatched it for this episode but a year out do you still have the the same sort of feelings that you did about it or have you had the opportunity to ruminate and maybe come to the conclusion that it wasn't as good as you thought it was or maybe it's better than you thought it was so yeah i oh go ahead marco sorry i i actually saw it again inadvertently maybe like a month ago um Hmm. Did you? Yeah, oh, wow. um, by, I had some family over and we just like put it on in the background. Um, but I, I, I kind of like sat and like watched it. Um, and yeah, it was it was pretty much as good as I remember it to be. Um, there weren't any moments about it where I kind of looked back and was like, oh, that didn't make sense, or oh, that made was was different than when I first consumed it. I think it still it still hit me in the same ways. Um, maybe less the uh was it the 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 chris evans becoming old stuff spoilers um <laughs> but like outside of that like, like i i just didn't cry about that one you know the first time it was enough the the second time i was just like all right yeah like, like this was a good end to that arc and um i'm glad that that's sort of the way that they went with a lot of the characters uh it, it was still as strong as it was when i first saw it yeah, so I rewatched it. Um, it's it's a while ago now, but I have rewatched it since seeing it in the theater, and um, I I felt similarly 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 Jesus to, <laughs> to Marco. <laughs> what? God, um, where the Avengers in game of L's? Man. Yeah, right. Um, needed an intermission so you could take a pee break, huh? Um, oh, I did. Oh, okay. That's more information than I needed. But, but I, I I agree where I think it hit me in all the same ways, you know, and I don't I, – I, I think that any piece of art, right, the first time you experience it is often the time where it hits you the hardest. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't necessarily, like, surprised by anything in it, but I think that it the moments that are great about it are great because they're earned. And those things are still true whether I see them coming or not, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I do think it's among the best uh, of, of superhero movies in general and certainly among my top for the MCU. 
And uh, I, I think, you know, the Russos are really, really competent filmmakers, you know? Like, they, they make movies that are really sleek and they handle ensemble casts well. I think they do a good job of, like, giving everybody their moment and, you know, um, the major players get, you know, a few. Um, and that's, like, you know, I, I really think that that movie and what it had to do and that it had to land the plane for 20 movies and 10 years worth of, you know, follow through on all these different styles and these characters and that are very, very different from each other. Um, they'd really deserve a lot of credit for it being as smooth a landing as it is, like whatever your problems with it may be, you know, um, I really do think that both parts of, um, you know, of, of, of the film, um, or I guess of the two-parter of the film, are, like, really, really well executed, you know? And, like, it's a fitting end to, like, what is a huge moment uh, in not just film of this era, but, like, this era in in the culture, you know, of, of how we'll look back at the 20, you know, 10s. Um, Marvel is a huge part of that, you know? And, and they will be, these characters will be, um, heavily identified with this era, you know? And I think they're probably going to maintain a similar level of popularity for the next couple decades because there's a whole generation of kids that came up um, with them in the same way that our generation is extremely nostalgic for Batman and X-Men and Spider-Man because they were really, really dominant and prevalent in our media at that time. To, to that last point, actually, I would even say uh, for adults, because for me, I, I was never a Marvel reader. So for me, you know, my only experience with them was X-Men and Spider-Man from the earlier movies as well as some of the TV show stuff. And I, when when I think we had done an episode, um, uh, this was like a year or two back, and we were like we were talking about how uh, Iron Man used to be a C-lister. I'm like, get out. I, 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 I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, some of the other characters like Captain America was maybe not necessarily like top tier until a couple years, whatever, you know, like that there were, there were things about it where it surprised me because I didn't have that attachment to the actual comics. Mm. And because of that, I think to your point, Pete, that, that becomes so much more prevalent because I do think that they're going to be something that, um, continues to reverberate in the, the next few decades. Um, I, you know, Cap is always going to be Chris Evans. Like, like when, when I think of Captain America, that's who I'm going to think of. When I think of uh, Iron Man, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is going to be the first thing that I think about. Um, even even now, when you see him in other movies or in other commercial or in commercials or whatever, like my mom would be like, hey, that's uh, Iron Man, right? It's like, yep. <laughs> hey, that's um, Captain America, right? Yep. You know, like that, it's, I think, I think that's going to be continually prevalent um, just because of the impact that these movies had on the people who viewed them and because it was just so frequent. So, I, bef- like, one of the things that the movie did was it gave us real stakes. And a lot of times people lambast both the comics and the films for not really committing to stakes, you know, not committing to the choices that they make um, when it comes to killing characters or altering characters, you know, uh, irrevocably, I would say the movies in general are better than comics. Like we don't, 
a lot of times villains die, you know, they, they, they just get killed off and you don't see them again and stuff like that. Well, in this movie, we did lose a couple of heroes. We actually lost a few heroes. Um, we lost, we did lose Black Widow, um, who I didn't mention earlier. And the only reason why I didn't is because, you know, there is a movie coming out based on the character. Um, so that wasn't uh, Scarlett Johansson's last time playing the role. But uh, she, she, you know, the character did die. Uh, the, char- the character of Gamora did die, although she's been replaced. Um, and then, of course, uh, Tony Stark and, uh, um, oh my God, <laughs> Steve Rogers. Wow. Um, <laughs> do you guys think that the MCU will suffer for the loss of its three biggest stars because those are so cap and, and and iron man are absolutely the biggest characters but then also they're played by the biggest stars and then scarlett johansson is just as big of a star and while her character may not have been as popular i would say that she was pretty popular especially among the you know the ladies of the audience i mean scarlett johansson is one of the few people that I think you can genuinely call a movie star right now. You know, like she yeah, she's a huge fucking deal. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think yes and no because I think obviously um those actors are heavy hitters and I think that these movies and the characters they played and our relationships to and like the culture's relationship to them has made them uh stars and has made them you know reinvigorated their careers in the case of robert downey um and it's made them you know dart like darlings you know people really love those those actors because they play heroes and we love heroes (laughs) um but i think the mcu and marvel in general as a brand is strong enough that there are so many characters that i think um while maybe not on the same level, I think that there's like just as many people who like look at, you know, now like, oh, Black Panther is one of those pillars of of the MCU. And you do still have some mains like mainstays from the old days like Chris Hemsworth, who maybe not as big as the other people, but people love him. They love where Thor's going now. Like uh people love Tom Holland. He's another one of those faces. Uh What's his name? Chris Ruffalo, Chris Pratt. Like there are other actors who have, I think, stepped into that limelight in a similar way. And as those characters become the new leads, I think a lot of that shine will carry over. Um, And again, I think like there's so there people are so invested in the MCU already that like I think as long as they continue to put out good movies, people will keep showing up and like. People have fallen in love with the new characters. And I think that was something that we weren't sure was going to happen. It's like, okay, cool. They got through Avengers. Does anybody give a shit about Ant-Man? Does anyone give a shit about Black Panther? Does anyone give a shit? You know? And like, yeah, they did. A lot in some cases. Um, I don't think anybody could have predicted what a moment Black Panther was going to be. And I think you can say the same thing about any of the characters. Or Guardians, right? That was a huge fucking moment of characters that nobody gave a fuck about before. And I think they can do that with Eternals. They can do that with the characters that they haven't shown us yet. Um, like a Blade. Like Blade could be another huge fucking moment, right? Like, sure. And, yeah. you know, like, 
the fact that they're still attracting like high quality talent both behind the camera and in front of it like Mahershala Ali is like one of the best actors working right now and he's about to be in an MCU movie you know so like that's something that I think people undersell too is that like yeah the only people who I think are really sick of you know superhero movies are like high art directors and film critics and Kale. but audiences are still eating them up actors like playing the characters they like getting paid to get insanely hot and fit and be and raise their star power to a level they've never achieved before and then they can walk away and go, go do whatever the fuck they want like captain america is gonna do right now and enjoy the rest of his career wherever the fuck that goes right uh, like why wouldn't you want to do it and i think it's also been a huge opportunity for lots of filmmakers who were you know like and i don't mean this with shade but like a lot of them were no nobodies before the MCU, and now they can get their movies made. Like, how many more people are aware of who Taika Waititi is now because he worked on an MCU movie? And he was always good, but he wouldn't have gotten his fucking comedy about Hitler made this year (laughs) to be an Oscar contender if he hadn't had that star power, because that's how Hollywood works now. So, like, I honestly think Marvel Studios is, in general, good for... Pretty much everybody in the film industry, except for the people that don't like the movies. And the ticket sales show that that is a minority of people. Most people connect with some level of these flicks. And I think as long as that's the case, they're going to keep going. And they have a long way to fall before they're not profitable enough to, like, to be worth doing. You know? Um, you Throughout how this movie made over a billion dollars. Well, and I just pure oh, and pure profit, no less, right? Like, that's huge. And they have a few more billion dollar movies in them, I'm sure. The next Spider Man movie will probably make another billion dollars, like the last one did, you know? Um, so, like, they have plenty of things that they can still lean on, even without Iron Man and Captain America. Because guess what? They weren't a big deal until they made them a big deal. And they've done that time and time again. I was gonna say uh, I'm I'm 100% agreed with with everything that Pete threw out, like everything from the actors to the directors. Like, I, and I, I think to the question you posed, Sean, as to without these three characters, if anything, I think that these, much like in superhero comics, I think these will elevate some of the movies because now they're in a sort of like a legacy realm, and that has a lot of importance in uh, in superhero content you know the 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 idea of passing on a mantle the idea of looking back at a previous character and saying like like this was the original one or like this was my whatever i think that has a lot of value and i think that it's going to be i'm i'm i was more curious to see how that's going to start to play out like oh remember cap you know or like oh remember iron man or tony rather um how that's going to start to play out in some of the movies because that's that's a very important part of uh, superhero medias when the like the quote-unquote original sort of passes or goes on yeah i love that point Uh, i'm glad you brought that up man because the mcu feels it has this like theme park quality to it almost where there are these different sections of it and 
none of it is real, but it feels lived in, and that's deliberate. You know, and you can see the sights and uh, the cast of characters and you feel a part of it in a way. And I think, you know, when you read a comic book, obviously you don't feel like you live in Marvel Universe, but you feel connected to these characters in part because you are aware of the things that they go through and the things that they go through are the history that makes the world feel real. You know, re, re, you you know what I mean when I say real. I don't lived mean in. literally. I think yeah. lived in is the perfect way to describe it. Uh, and now that the MCU has lost people, because yes, people have died, but has lost people who were so important to it. The way that these films will now change to react to that is not only a new wrinkle, um, but it's also something that will increase that lived in quality. Because if you become a fan of these movies somehow in three years from now and you've not seen them before, they're going to reflect the things that came before. But it won't they won't feel so um, tied to them. You know, the same way that like Spider-Man's current storyline has nothing to do with Gwen Stacy or Uncle Ben in the comics, but the chance that those characters get referenced at some point in some way is fairly high. And that creates a quality about about that. That it's like, man, what's that about? Who were those people? Why are they so important to him? You know, and it, it increases that lived in nature. So um I think I think the deaths of these characters actually gives us something that we never had in the movies. Yeah, I think in the same way that their existence up until now has been so significant, their absence casts a shadow that informs all the stories that move that come from now on. Like, look at how Far From Home, you know, is influenced by the death of Tony Stark. You know, like, that is something that, you know, uh, he's not in the film, and, like, I don't think his presence in it is really, like, he's not referenced that often in the grand scheme of it. Um, but I guess that's, yeah. Um, but the, the, the relationship between those characters, even though he's no longer present is still something that like shapes the story and allows you to like have that growth with those characters, you know? And I think that's why the universe feels lived in and why you say you feel a part of it is because like you've watched the characters grow and change while you have grown and changed because it's been happening for so long. <laughs> Which you know? is, a, I guess, is a negative for some people, but yeah, um, yeah. Well, <laughs> like I think about how different things were in 2008 when I saw Iron Man in theaters with my dad. You know, like <laughs> the world totally. has changed a lot for us both. <laughs> so before we close our conversation about Endgame, I I, I did want to read some of the things that have come out recently. Uh, you know, like I talked about the watch-alongs and things like that, and uh, McFeely and Marcus, uh, Stephen McFeely, sorry, and Christopher Marcus, who wrote the movie Endgame and uh, Infinity War, did they? They've been doing the rewatch. They they engaged with the quarantine watch party that took place last Sunday, um, uh, and the the Russos as well. Joe Russo did, um, and they talked a little bit about some of the things that were different 
before the movie actually was filming, things that changed, you know, midway of production, um, and, you know, different iterations of both Infinity War and Endgame. And I, I thought this would be interesting to bring up because they really, it, it really shows you just how much thought goes into these things because you'll realize as I read some of these that they thought of everything and how different this movie could have been if they made just a few small different choices. Uh, so the first one, uh, and this is one that I think a lot of people wish had happened, but originally there was, <laughs> originally Doctor Strange was supposed to get an Iron Man costume in the movie. What? <laughs> yeah. So uh, People wish for that? I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, <laughs> all right. That didn't go over how I thought it would. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was a costume. It, it, it was such a real thing that there was actually a costume. And Kevin Smith, of all people, uh, actually saw benedict cumberbatch in the costume um he was like nah save the movie yeah right <laughs> like <laughs> kevin smith noted mcu actor like what <laughs> so if you guys remember the part where in uh in infinity war that dr strange is being held captive by the ebony maw um and he gets rescued well, the idea is that the rescue went down slightly differently in the original version. So um, this, what I'm about to read, is coming from comicbook.com. It's a, it's a, they, 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 they tweeted out some of the things that were said during the, um, during the watch along. So, so there were supposed, there were other versions of this rescue. Some were just too awesome and long to keep, but still one can dream. Uh, and that was said by Stephen McFeely. Uh, so just confirming the idea that that there were these different uh, possibilities. <laughs> that you going to say. So just confirming um, that this is actually a cool idea. <laughs> well, I thought Officially. it was cool. Um, another thing, though, this hopefully will go over better with you guys, is that Nova was originally supposed to be mm. a part of this whole thing. That is cool. That's cool. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, that is That good. gets a pop. I'll give it <laughs> so, I've heard of that character. <laughs> I would hope so. Jeez. Uh, Nova has come close to being in the MCU a few times now, actually. He was originally supposed to be introduced in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but that didn't happen. And then they were like, a, instead, John C. Riley, he's gonna come over and hang out. <laughs> right. And then in Infinity War, um, it's referenced that Xandar, I think it's called Xandar, um, which is like the world of the yeah, Nova Corps, was supposed to be. Yeah, it, it was supposed to be destroyed on screen by Thanos. And at, what ends up happening is they cut out the sequence of it being destroyed. And just bring us into the moment of Thanos on the ship with Thor and Loki and Heimdall right after Thor uh, Ragnarok. So in order to keep things kind of like consistent and, and, and just 
drop you right in that moment. They cut out the destruction of Xandar, and Nova went with that. But the way that they were going to use Nova was he was going to be introduced as in the the Hulk role. So the way that Hulk gets shot from space down to Earth and lands in Doctor Strange's mansion and says Thanos is coming, that was supposed Damn. to be Nova. God, that would have been cool. <laughs> right? Yeah, I definitely would have liked that. And it's actually kind of interesting because that's the same way that Nova is used in the Avengers versus X-Men event. Uh, he's the one who tells them that the Phoenix Force is coming. So they kind of borrowed that from the comics and, and clearly wanted to use him in a very specific way. But unfortunately, the decision was made that there were too many characters in the movie. Someone had to go. Nova was chosen. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, what else? There were there were a couple others. Uh, there are videos, and they talked about you know the last day of Chris Evans on set, the last day for Brie Larson on set, um, and and those might hit you in your feels if you want to check those out. But I think the biggest, the absolute biggest thing that could have been different is the original draft did not include any time travel at all. What? How? Yep. <laughs> Damn. That's crazy. So what, what was – how was – what never, was the solution then? They didn't say. Um, but yeah, the original the original version wasn't going to uh, – it, it wasn't even going to feature like that big battle of New York that they went and recreated. Um, that was never going to happen. That's crazy. Yeah. That's like the whole movie. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't remember – we we actually talked about this uh, on a on a on a an earlier episode of the show. We kind of know what they thought about doing, but they've never specifically said it. We know that at some point, uh, House of M was considered. So having Scarlet Witch lose it after Vision died, and warping reality that was one of the the things that we had talked about. Um. As a potential possibility. But I don't know the source. I don't remember the source on that. But I know that that was something that we talked about. But in retrospect, right? It's hard to imagine that movie without time travel. It would have ended in the first five minutes when Thor kills him. (laughs) That's it. The rest of the movie, it's like 20 more minutes. And it's just everybody goes home and is really depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we would have. (laughs) The final shot would have been Scarlet. Uh, Scarlett Johansson eating that sandwich and crying. And then, and then we, we come to the review and Kale's like, I loved it. Totally, <laughs> totally avant-garde. I can't believe they did it. It was miserable. I was depressed the entire time. 10 Fantastic out of 10. work. <laughs> but yeah, there are plenty of other things that they had revealed. Uh, some that are very weird and I'm surprised they thought of them. Others that I wish they had included. Uh, just to tickle you with one of the weirder ones, uh, the idea that Captain America himself would have been the Soul Stone. What? What? Yeah. what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I said they thought of everything. You know what? You're what right. If? <laughs> they, this is, that was like, they're like, they mentioned that as if it was like a serious draft, but really they just got high one night and they're like, what if Steve is the Stone Man? Like... <laughs> 
Yeah. So uh, Avengers Age of Ult or Age of Ultron. Jeez, I've got. Um, <laughs> I forgot that movie on the. The brain. fuck movie is this? <laughs> Avengers Endgame could have been totally different, but uh, me personally, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I think that it was an incredible achievement. A movie that I'm really, 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 really glad I am alive now to have been able to witness and not later on witnessing it, you know, after the fact or dead before it ever happened. Um, I feel like I was born exactly at the right time. And I'm really thankful for that. And uh, I'm thankful to Marvel for making 22 awesome movies. And I can't wait to see what else they do. But no matter what comes next, I think Endgame will always stand out as the movie that not only changed the game, but also kind of like ended the game. <laughs> wow. Ended the game. That worked out <laughs> better than I thought it was going to. <laughs> it, it's funny. Now that you say that, because um, it, it's something I've definitely thought about of just like, yeah, like one day I'll, I'll watch, you know, like I'll sit my kids down and be like, I, oh, the, I was a kid when these were in theaters. You know, I remember going and seeing this when I was just out of, you know, or I was in high school or whatever and that kind of thing. And like, it's funny to think about a future generation having the relationship to it that like our generation did to like the original star Wars trilogy or something like that, you know, where it's like, Oh, it's this crazy megalithic thing that happened before I was born. But like, that was easy to be like, Oh, I get to watch three movies. And then now I'm, I'm in it. Whereas now it's like, all right, let's come on boys and girls. You ready to watch 30 movies? <laughs> yeah. And imagine 60. how many like parents, who loved superheroes, loved comics growing up, got to have their cake and eat it too, right? Because, like, you're watching these movies for the first time, but then you're also taking your child along for that journey. And if you were a parent already at two, in 2008, you kind of, depending on the age of your child, these movies chart the course for your child's growth potentially into adulthood. Sure, yeah. That's kind of a beautiful thing when you think about it like that. And that's how I prefer to think about it. So that's going to do it for our conversation on Avengers Endgame. I would love to hear what you guys have to say about your reflections on the film and what it meant to you uh, as we look back on its year anniversary. Um, I think that there will be huge... Avengers movies down the road and crossovers and all that jazz, but Endgame is always going to be special because it's it's not the first crossover, but it's the end of the first era. So um, yeah, let's let's reflect together. Hit us with your thoughts. You can get us on uh, all social media platforms at the Comics Pals. You can get us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. You can get us at youtube.com slash the Comics Pals. If you're already there, definitely do us a, a solid and uh, leave us a like, drop us a comment, share the video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel for more content like this. We put out the podcast every week and it goes on YouTube day and date. Um, so, you know, if you love seeing these faces, definitely keep coming back for more. Uh, and uh, lastly but certainly not leastly join our discord server if you haven't already uh, I think you should just give it a shot like you could literally just leave if you don't want to be there if you think we're annoying 
Um, I don't think you're going to find that. I think you're going to find a community that you want to be a part of. But if you listen to this show, if you made it this far into the episode, you're a fan of ours. You like this thing. So come talk to us. You know, talk to us. There's other people there, too, who aren't us that also like our show. And you can talk to them, too. Um, Most of them are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, that Phil guy, though. I don't know about him. Well, he, he's not there, so. That's <laughs> true. He's rarely there. You won't have to suffer through him. Just like this episode, it'll be great. There you go. Let's do some plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come chat with me about uh, your feelings about Endgame. You're removed. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can find my stuff over at Lupots.com, where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, and uh, the Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark, which is now uh, just a buck. So go check that out. Nice. Um, and then I stream Animal Crossing over there on uh, Thursday sometimes, too. So, uh, yeah, if you like Nintendo shit, check it out. All right, Kale. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Come hit me up if you want to talk about starting a religion based on Captain America wielding Mjolnir. I think, you know, hundreds of years, people are going to be so inspired by that. I think we just, you know, we might as well jumpstart it. Yeah. You can I mean, find my work yeah. at kaleward.com. That's C A L E W A R D.com. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, at Mr. Mark Enomoto. And yeah, come talk to me about whatever uh, anime. Actually, anime. I've been watching a lot recently. Uh, Beastars and Gundam MS-08 team. Really good stuff. I'm looking to get some more. So please recommend me things. Awesome. As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up if you do or have done recently one of the following. Uh, watched Westworld, played Streets of Rage 4, or acknowledged Jean Grey Day. <laughs> I'm not joking. And with I'll that, call. we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Elon Musk was right. <laughs> <laughs>